Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati, ripping it up, praising Stetson Bennett, our new QB1 national championship reactions from that. Mike was at the game, so should be a treat to see. Also going to do our new 2022 NFL mock draft, our first one of the offseason from Mike Renner. Bust watch, bust watch, breakout watch, and then interviews with Houston cornerback Marcus Jones and Boston College offensive lineman Zion Johnson. Let's get it. did not expect Georgia to win this game. Now, I will say this. I'll say this. If you told me pregame that Jameson Williams was going to get hurt with an ACL, obvious ACL injury, with 12.35 left in the second quarter, I would have flipped my pick. I would have said, yeah, this isn't going to work. I mean, they're already down John Mechie. Then you lose Jameson Williams with the effect of also like everyone like, wow, that stinks. Jameson Williams, not only one of our best receivers is out, but also like probably like, you know, there's, there's a mental, emotional factor in like losing a team leader like that, losing one of your best players, forcing guys that have not had a lot of reps in practice, forcing guys that don't know the playbook nearly as well as probably the top receivers in Mechie and Jameson Williams on the field. I would have probably sided with Georgia. And what I did do, Bet Georgia. Georgia, when Jameson got hurt, was still only favored by two and a half. Mm. Like you, I, I, you had to. I don't know the Brinks truck, dude. Like once that injury happened, I felt like it was Georgia's game to lose at that point. And then without that kind of fluky, I'm not saying fluky, but like unlucky fumble from Stetson Bennett, and then like a really fluky recovery where the guy didn't didn't even realize it was a fumble with casual, like just bring it in. Like without that, this game probably doesn't even get as close as it did. I mean, it wasn't even as close as it was. So I do think that Georgia took advantage of that injury. It was one of the first things that Kirby Smart brought up in the post-game handshake with Saban talking about that injury. It was a brutal loss for Bama and just like so hard to overcome. Offensive line regressed. Bryce Young regressed under pressure. Still played a really good game, but without Jameson Williams, without John Mechie, their receivers couldn't create separation and that Georgia defense really, uh, really stood up. Yeah, that fumble play was one of like the closest... On two on two realms, yes. you know, like on two, it had two different aspects to it that were so incredibly like controversial or like tight that if either one would have been ruled differently on the field, whether it's they ruled it a pass on the field or they ruled it a no recovery on the field, I don't think that gets overturned. <laughs> but because it was ruled a fumble and a recovery, it goes Bama's way. But like you said, the Jameson Williams injury. I don't want to say it's the only reason they lost no, this game. No, not at all. No. But it is a completely different game if Jamison Williams plays. And now it's early enough in the process, talking, looking at his draft sort of future here in January, that I don't think it drops him too far. Mm-hmm. Like, the talent that he is with his speed, you think of an ACL six to nine months, that puts his recovery timetable into the – could be before training camp, he could be healthy, could he be into the next season at probably worst-case scenario. But – the, probably the closest, you know, we saw Jeffrey Simmons tear an ACL, a top-tier prospect, probably top-10 prospect prior to his ACL, tore his ACL in February. He gets drafted 19th overall. I think that's a similar sort of realm that we see Jamison go because if you want speed, he has more of it than any other wide receiver in the class. Still. Like <laughs> That's not going to change after an ACL. A lot of guys even get stronger on that leg post-recovery. So uh, I do, I don't want to sound like a, Gun, gun right activist or whatever after a shooting, but this is my why you don't want to expand the playoff, in my opinion. Oh, you wow. don't want to go into the final game with 
decided by guys not playing yeah. via injury, whether it's John Mechie, Jamison Williams. If we if they had to play another game right now, or if it was you know one of these top teams and Jamison Williams gets hurt against a meaningless game, say last week against Cincinnati, like I, I want to see the college football playoff be the healthiest teams, be a full healthy team at the end of the season. I don't want three more games, you know, in succession where a top tier player could get hurt and then that decides the outcome of the national championship game. I hate that feeling yeah. of that. I want to see the best of the best playing each other. I don't care to see Alabama play shit Oklahoma State to prove that they're deserve to be in the national championship game, you know? Yeah. I, I do think that it comes down I, I, I love this conversation, right? Like it comes down to what are you trying to do with the national championship? Are you trying to get the two best teams playing each other and the mm -hmm. best team winning? If so Keep it. I mean, you could have kept it at the BCS, right? Like you almost could have kept it as just like, hey, Bama plays Georgia. There's no playoff at all, right? Like the only reason they extended it was not to better find who the best team in the college football was. It's content. Money. It's content and money. Like the only positive of expanding the playoff is more content, more money. And that's ultimately why it's going to get expanded. Like everyone wants to talk about, don't expand it. Ruins the game. You're not going to you're going to force things like, you know, an Oklahoma State surprisingly upsetting a Bama, say like Bryce Young gets hurt in a game or something, right? Like yeah. Bryce Young gets hurt in an Oklahoma State game. Maybe they do lose. Yeah. And that's obviously a like that is what that is the risk. Right? Guess what? That risk doesn't equal less money. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, it does not equal less money for college football. So, like, all this conversation of like it will ruin who picks the best team, like, that's not the point. The point is to make some extra ched from the big people up top. And that's what, what's ultimately going to happen. I, I know, I know for a fact it's going to get expanded. Like, that's a fact. Like, it's going to expand it to at least six teams, maybe eight, because they're going to make more money. If it gets expanded to eight and it's like a, a true eight playoff, I will boycott every one eight. Stop. You I will, will boycott not. every one you eight. I'm saying it right now. I'm boycotting every one eight <laughs> and every two seven. You're not going to I'm boycott going to. it. I'm boycotting every one eight and every two seven. <laughs> All right, let's let's get into any other reactions. I mean, I thought the Kobe Dean insane. Channing Tyndall is a monster. Uh, George Pickens had that really nice highlight real play that was awesome. Stetson Bennett had yeah. some really good throws down the stretch. Um over the um the, especially that deep ball down the right mm -hmm. sideline on the offsides some impressive play there will anderson a monster dallas turner that true freshman that six foot four 245 literally burning people to the ground along the edge so much talent in this game um i i mean the, the georgia d man is, is is unreal with the amount of talent that they have it's unreal I, there were a lot of people tweeting like why do these guys look faster than nfl why does this look like it's faster and, and some of that's because like there are still guys out there that are not you know, high like NFL caliber athletes. But I will say, Georgia's linebacking core and the defensive ends for Alabama, those guys are legitimately like all, all so Dallas Turner, Will Anderson, the defensive ends for Alabama, and then Channing Tindall, Quay Walker, and Nicobe Dean, the linebackers for Georgia. If those are like, like those are arguably, if they were in the NFL, the most athletic groups of at the edge and <laughs> yeah. linebacker in the NFL. Like those guys are all freak athletes. Like all those guys in George linebacker core run sub four six. Mm -hmm. All those, all the guys in Alabama's edge are like four six five and under. Like those guys are explosive athletes. Yeah. That, the, yeah, they're they're bringing different. This is why they're one and two in the nation. They're bringing different horses to the table. It was special, man. I also think Lewis seen. Uh, yeah. The safety for Georgia was game flying, dude, flying around the football. A uh, couple more comments on this one, two fun ones. One, we were talking in the office when we were watching the game. I know you were at the college football playoff. You haven't talked about that. You got the beanie on. How sick was that? Oh, dude, it was great. It was – so I was in the ancillary press box, and at first I'm like, what the fuck's the ancillary press box? I saw, like, my seating. Yeah. yeah, like, I'm the guy they didn't want to invite at first, and they're like, all right, we got to invite him, I guess. Um, but it turns out I was just, like, in the stands. 
And so I could cheer. Like usually in the press box. Did you, you have like a table react. to work or anything? I had a table that was just in the stands, literally right across from another section of just Georgia fans. Wow. So like it's going off. Like it's That's like sweet. you're involved in the atmosphere. And then I also had like our own section behind the tables that had St. Elmo shrimp cocktails. Fuck. That was it was it was quite the setup. They, they do sick. national. If never been to Nash Championship, I was like I've never been to one. The atmosphere around it was electric. Like the hotels just had in the lobby, just like beer vendors, just like like it was a game. Like they're just oh, like wow, handing out beers to people for like five bucks. I was like Jesus, this is like that's sweet. Heaven. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you were about to say in that dialogue or in that like if you've never been to a national championship game you should it's like yeah <laughs> no yeah <laughs> i feel like yeah that would be i was just sick. i was gonna describe it to you yeah i know that was i mean it sounds you should play awesome. augusta too so that, <laughs> yeah. like chris collinsworth <laughs> i forgot about that chris collinsworth on the pod one time was like if you haven't gone out to augusta and played you know 18 holes you gotta try it well i bet that is pretty sick mm. chris uh speaking of handing out five dollar peers yeah. stetson bennett i joked on the uh intro that he is our new qb1 he is because this guy went hard in the paint, dude. Can we play this, Quinn? This video is absolutely incredible. I think he's going to play it. Yeah. What people don't know about that video is that there's also, like, his IG story. I don't follow him on IG. But he, like, sent a picture of, like, a handful of high noons that I think they were giving away. And he's like... Interview at 8 a.m., pray for I don't me. think they're giving it away. That was a bar. Oh, was it a bar? <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. you just had a bar. <laughs> well, either way, he had some hands on some high yeah. noons. And I feel like anyone was giving him probably free drinks down that yeah. stretch. My take on it is, bravo. Stetson Bennett is 23 years old. Let him send it. Two, he did not sleep before that interview. He said a couple hours, no. Zero chance. There's a 0% chance he slept for that interview. That guy came in hot, ready to rock and roll. I was surprised he was even upright. That was uh, an impressive interview, man. He he partied hard. And rightfully so, dude. You win the freaking national championship over Bama? You better send it, dude. Talk about an all-time turn of events for him. He went from never being – after three quarters of that game, he could not go back to Athens, Georgia. If they oh, lost. yeah. Oh, he could yeah. not. He played like shit. He was uh, – Peeing down his leg, for lack of a better like phrase, no, sure. the whole entire first quarter, like he would just look very rattled. The moment was too big for him. That first quarter, fourth quarter, turns it around, makes some finally some nice plays, wins the game, and now he can go back to Georgia. Everyone's gonna know who that guy is for the rest of his life. It literally like becomes like, like exemplified error. Yeah, the yeah. Biggest turn imaginable in his life happened over the course of probably forty-five minutes there. That. <laughs> literal life-changing stuff that his fourth quarter there and his his story is interesting right like he like as a kid like said to his dad at like four years old or something that like i'm gonna be the starting quarterback of georgia not only that he wins the national championship and then the other thing too is his post-game answer when they like his first interview right after he won they asked him like man like or some like generic question i thought he was gonna be like yeah it's all in our teammates you know kirby smart put in this position to succeed he's like i was not going he said i was not going to be the reason we lost it's like I, I I could I wasn't gonna let it happen. No. Like I couldn't let it happen. Like that's I was like kind of fired up off that. Like normally you have quarterbacks kind of like yeah you know receiver came down with a great ball, offensive line played well. Guy went in there was like dude I know what the moment was dude. I fumbled that ball. Alabama goes in to score. I, this game was over if I didn't make a play, and he did dude. He freaking rose up. That was sweet yeah. dude. Stetson Bennett, what a freaking legend, literal Georgia legend for the Bulldogs there, and just capped it off with a. Chef's Kiss interview on Good Morning America. <laughs> what an incredible piece. Um, before we get into your mock draft, yeah. I want to talk about our presenting sponsor of the show. 
Our presenting sponsor, if you don't know, is Manscaped. And if you're not using Manscaped, you're making a mistake. You're not prioritizing your family jewels, okay? It's New Year, no pubes with Manscaped, presenting sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast. Cheers to 2022 and resolutions you can actually keep. How about having clean and shiny balls all year round? How about it? Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to save your balls this year and make the ball drop into 2022 the cleanest and sexiest ever. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. It's New Year, New Me with the global leaders in male grooming. This year, take your grooming to the next level with their Performance Package 4.0 and brand new ultra premium body wash. To complete the set, Manscaped threw in the shed travel bag and anti-chafing boxer briefs for the boys as free gifts to keep all your goodies stored comfortably. Anti-chafing boxer briefs? Where are those? I Manscaped, I'm calling. Where are those at? I need to make a play here. Code PFF to make a play. Cheers to new balls in 2022. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And yo, use code PFF. It's new year, no pubes, in 2022 with Manscaped. I'll say this. If you are a dude mm. and you've ever experienced an awful chafe, like just an in-between... The areas chafe, whether you're like as a kid, like just at recess grinding the tape for like too long or at a camp. I remember the worst ones were at camps, right? We go like on a week long camp somewhere or the football camp or something. If you don't bring the either Manscapes anti-chafing, oh, yeah. the boxer briefs or like baby powder out the ass, you might as well call it a night because that that is like can literally it can literally take down a man. It can take down a man. Yeah, we would go back from basketball camping high school in the summer and it would your just body would be dead it was the worst feeling but i will say in adulthood one thing you realize is that investing in nice underwear is a must such a like must. If, you, if you're buying hanes you know like six don't, packs don't throw brands out there don't hanes is a new sponsor <laughs> <laughs> if you're buying like six packs for 10 bucks you're you're paying for it. like yeah. you'll pay for it in the long term dude so i mean we've talked about X-Chair on this pod which was a former yeah. sponsor but now you guys spend where you spend the most time <laughs> i'll tell you what you spend a lot of time in underwear yeah <laughs> maybe not you but me i spent a lot of time in underwear all right mock draft 2022 mock draft going into this one you had the order set for the first 18 teams that's where i really want to focus first 18 teams this order is set this is who is going to be picking out those slots barring a trade Going into this one. And I don't see, I'll just say, like, I don't see trades like we saw last year. Because the no quarterback QBs. jockeying, like, I'm not sure there's going to be that much interest. So if we go all the way till, was it April 25th this year, without a single trade, wouldn't be surprising at all. Yeah. No, I agree. I don't think, plus, like, you're just not going to get a ton of value for it, right? Like, you're going to trade up mm -hmm. for, you know, a low value position, like corner receiver and, like, give up future draft capital. It was April 28th, actually. Day after my birthday. Wow. It's going to be a sender. Do you remember when that mock draft or no that NFL draft show where you were kind of late and Neil was there and you showed up with a freaking 24 rack oh yeah dude <laughs> that was when I was like not in like oh yeah high up first position here. Yeah, yeah like I was like I was like still like in customer service at PFF yeah. and like you, Neil is like losing his mind that's Neil the founder of PFF it wasn't founder a draft PFF. show we were just at there watching the draft no but there were still like shows going like you had to be oh yeah camera. it was on the show yeah yeah what do you mean <laughs> yeah, and it, I do remember it, that. that time it was your birthday right yeah like, that's why you birthday. were showing up bombed like you were Stetson Bennett at the draft show well, we were Neil just doing... was gonna kill you 
Yeah, Neil was going to kill me. We were just doing like a live, like, I thought it was just going to be. Like the bros. This is before I was even like draft analyst. Yeah. This was like the lead draft. We were just like, we treated the draft kind of as an afterthought back then. It was just like we had takes on players. We had watched players, but we didn't have like a draft product. We didn't really go all in the draft. And so I thought it was just going to be us sitting around watching this pick and kind of like giving our takes, like yeah. casual conversation. And I get there and it's like two people at a desk, like going it's back legit. and forth. And I'm like, oh, and I show up with like a thick case of beer. <laughs> <laughs> Miller's. Oh, yeah. of course, Miller's. Why? By the way, we don't have a beer sponsor on the show. Miller and Weiser. Make a play. All right. Um, Going into this draft, before we get into pick by pick. Say Anheuser, we just want Miller. Yeah, we want Miller. Sorry. I'm sorry. I can't shade sponsors. You're out here dog and hands. You know, like <laughs> Connor Price sponsor guy is on the phone trying to make a play. Um, for going into this draft, before we get to pick by pick. Mm-hmm. What were some of the biggest changes you knew going in? It's like, oh, I know I got to drop this guy, move this guy up. Were there big movers, big risers, big fallers for you? That's a good question. Um, I knew, so I, like I said, I went through the quarterbacks, and my biggest takeaway from watching the quarterbacks was that I think Sam Howell is going to go high in this draft. Wow. I do. Sam Wowell. <laughs> I just think we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening. Obviously, you got Senior Bowl, Pro Days, whatever. A lot of evaluation left in the process, but I just think from a pure talent perspective and how he played the quarterback position, a lot of different ways, I think someone's going to cover him highly in this draft. Um, the other guy I wanted, I think Bernard Ryman, if I had to go first-round lock, Central Michigan tackle, I think he might be it this week. We're not going to do it anymore because I said 20, national championship game over. But I think that dude's going in the first round. Um I wanted to sneak Arnold Abiquetti in there because I think he could be a riser after the Senior Bowl. I think he's kind of on the borderline right now, the Penn State defensive end. Um, after that, this was pre-Jameson Williams injury, so he obviously stayed high. I'm trying to think of guys I wanted to fade in this that I didn't think that maybe appeared. Oh, DeMarvin Leal. I, he's first-round lock. Doesn't make first round of this mock draft. I don't think he's going to go in the first round when it's all said and done. I Damn. just don't think so. So there's there might be my one. My one. I'm going to have multiple misses probably in the first round locks, but there is one that I think I'm not so certain he's first rounder anymore. Well, let's get into it, man. Let's get into this. Number one, you have the Jacksonville Jaguars taking edge Aiden Hutchinson. I was talking to Eric Eager at mm-hmm. PFF, who's an avid better, and he was saying one of his favorite bets right now for draft props, which you can get on DraftKings, which is a sponsor of PFF, is plus 750 that the Jags go Evan Neal. Evan Neal at I plus like 750. Right now, the draft prop process or the bets for the odds, it's minus 110. So the favorite to be the number one overall pick for the Jags is Aiden Hutchinson. Then Kayvon Thibodeau is plus 110, which is essentially like split. Like it's like the betting market see it as either that guy or that guy. Aiden or Kayvon Thibodeau going number one overall to the Jags. If you are confident it's not one of those guys, there is value. And Evan Neal is the third ranked player at plus 750. And then Kenny Pickett, sneaky. Plus 1,000. But if you're betting Kenny Pickett plus 1,000. No, I wouldn't bet that. Yeah, if you're betting Kenny Pickett plus 1,000 to go number one overall when they have Trevor Lawrence, you're probably burning money. But I I, I was not opposed to the Evan Neal plus 750 selection, right? And there are, some that books one, that, yeah. there are some books that are offering that at plus 900. So 9 to 1. Bet 10 to win 90. Bet 100 to win 900. I know you have Aiden Hutchinson here. I know he's the number one player on PFF's draft board. But I guess react to Evan Neal going number one overall. That that's I think it's gonna be Hutchinson, Thibodeau, Neal. I would be like the next odds if I were you know handicapping it, whatever to put it'd be like plus like five thousand for anyone else. Eh, maybe really? that's, no, maybe that's high. Plus like two thousand anyone else. Like it's those three in my mind that you're deciding over if you're the Jaguars, or especially like if you're the Jaguars. The only way Kenny Pickett, Sam Howell, quarterback goes number one overall is trade. That's the only way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. um, 
So I guess maybe that's what you're banking on, right? If you're betting yeah. Kenny Pickett plus 1,000, you're thinking someone's coming up to make a play. Yeah. Which probably not. is too early in the process. I think that number could get faded. You know, you could probably get a better price on Pickett number one overall. Maybe mm-hmm. as it gets closer, right, and more people start watching the draft. Like the combine will air a lot of these things out. The senior bowl will air a lot of these things out, but regardless. But so for the Jaguars' decision here, you're deciding between two defensive ends who you have Josh Allen and Caleb on chase on, who you invested first-rounders in already or a tackle who you're going to lose most likely um gosh why am i blanking on the name of the left tackle the guy they just franchised from alabama and free robinson mm-hmm. uh in free in free agency most likely but you drafted walker little top 50 and he has looked in limited time better than caleb on chase on has caleb on chase on we talked about it. he put him on bus watch firmly he was just god awful this year 55.6 pass yeah. rushing grade worse than a i don't think it's going to happen 15 pressures all year he was Benched by the end of the year. He was not a starter anymore by year's end. And why I keep Urban going doesn't back, even know his name. <laughs> why I keep going back to Hutchinson is the sort of impact locker room leadership culture aspect of it. And the coaches speak to it at Michigan, turned around that program, something that NFL guys will fall in love with themselves. Yeah. That to a degree matters. Like to a degree can have an impact, especially when you have a culture like Jacksonville's, where fans are showing up in clown masks. Yeah. So that's why I lean that. <laughs> but you're getting, you've got the number one overall pick. Those are fucking good players. They're deciding between. There's obviously like no like wrong, wrong decision. But I do think in the end, it will be Aiden Hutchinson. And he's a vastly different type of defensive end than Caleb Vaughn or even Josh Allen. Like he is your power dn he can kick inside like you can get those guys on the field at the same time if you really wanted to we've talked a lot about this pick and we've talked a lot about aiden hutchinson a few things there you say like nfl guys will care about that i think everyone should care about that like everyone should care about aiden hutchinson's like off-field locker room leadership presence you talk to anyone that has spoke to the guy they talk about like those things that matter work ethic leadership well, qualities all that stuff like that does matter when you're when you're splitting hairs right like Aiden yeah. Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau are both phenomenal like they're both yeah. phenomenal players Evan Neal included Derek Stingley included it does come ultimately to some of these smaller edges right where you feel like who's a better program fit who's mm-hmm. a better culture fit who's going to like actually move this franchise forward but also like so Miles Garrett goes number one overall a lot of people criticize Miles Garrett as quiet aloof coming out like not not a loves the game kind of guy but he's the goddamn best pass rusher in the yeah. NFL off the edge so like you go to a spot where you have guys who are leaders on that defense or leaders on an, an offense or a strong coaching staff it doesn't really matter you take the guy who's talented but I think with Jacksonville it does matter because again you don't have those things in place mm-hmm. that are that he can be that for you. it also doesn't matter or does matter because there isn't a Miles Garrett in this class, right? Yes, like Miles Garrett's yes, yes, in this yes. class. Miles Garrett goes number one overall. Yeah. He had one of the most insane seasons we've ever seen at the collegiate era with Texas AM. He was also one of the freakiest athletes we've ever seen. Aiden Hutchinson's going to Tesla, and I wanted to comment on that too. People are coming up with comps for Aiden Hutchinson right now. You're like seeing some things thrown around. I think I saw like Kyle Vandenbosch thrown somewhere around. I think I, I saw. I don't want to hear any Vandenbosch slander. He was good in this. You know, I think he was good, but I'm yeah. saying. People don't realize how well Aiden Hutchinson is supposed to or borderline will test. Like the numbers on Bruce Feldman's freaks list, the numbers that we've, when we're talking to Michigan people, are like, this guy's going to do some insane shit at the combine. You want to to hear what Kyle Vandenbosch did at the combine? What? It's Kyle Vandenbosch, good comp. 270 pounds, six foot four, 270, 
runs a 466, 36 and a half inch vertical, 408 shuttle, and a 6823 con. Yeah, that's the okay. That's that's the type of numbers. The I didn't realize Vandenbosch. <laughs> Vandenbosch was, was, like was a dude. Pre my era, like I feel like Vandenbosch. I think I only remember caught the tail end of his career. Mm. Right. I guess. I, I don't know. I think. I think you just can't. You can't. Any slanderous comps for him just being like a high effort yes, motor yes, guy yes, or yes. just absurd because this guy is going to test in the bosa tier right bosa bosa brothers didn't even have that good of short shuttle times their short shuttle and, and three cone weren't nearly as good as or i'm getting what am i they getting good cones on? they didn't have good 40s yeah good that's why I, I mixed up like their their cones were really good but their 40 yard dash was not as good as probably what a and hutchinson's gonna I mean, run like he's going like a four nine yeah we're in that range there weren't fast dudes they are get off bend wins what regardless do not comp Aiden Hutchinson to non-athletic players. <laughs> it's like this guy is going yeah. to go to the combine and test really, really well. Number two overall, Detroit Lions grab Edge, Kayvon Thibodeau. Detroit, because they beat the Packers in an upset, don't have the number one overall pick, aren't, maybe might not have an opportunity to get the hometown hero from you know Michigan mm -hmm. and Aiden Hutchinson. They out for Kayvon Thibodeau here, who... I think has wrongfully have been under discussed probably on this podcast because we focus so much on Aiden Hutchinson and has focused on other prospects. But Kayvon Thibodeau, my God, still a very talented prospect mm -hmm. in the running for number one overall pick. Very well could be the Jacksonville Jaguars one overall pick with good production. I think top 10 all time along pass rusher single seasons here at, at, at PFF. Where? So you put in this I mean, right up here. Thibodeau has a unique blend of physical tools that very few draft prospects possess. We talked to Bruce Feldman about why he's not on the freeze list and why that maybe Oregon has other players that were freakier from an athleticism perspective. Mm -hmm. Where do you think this guy ultimately tests, right? Like, what are some of the numbers Thibodeau is going to put out? That's I know you don't set. know, right? But yeah. I'm saying, like, seeing his tape and seeing his explosiveness, these unique tools, right? Like, wh what tier of athlete is this guy? I think he's high end. I mean, I think you'll go like low four sixes probably in the 40. Like, he's that kind of explosive. I think his jumps will be very good. Cone, I'm not so certain, but I, he's the kind of and like with his frame, with his size, and I think he's up to like 260. That I'm not, it's definitely not going to be a red flag, any of his athletic metrics. It's just going to be will the Lions opt for that position, defensive end, when you have Trey Flowers making 23 million next year? He's probably cut. Let's be yeah, real yeah, about yeah. that. But you got Romeo Akwara on a big deal, too. You have Charles Harris, who just had a breakout year, who you could. Resign. You have Julian Aquara, who looked good in limited time actually this season. 21 pressures, only 273 pass rushing snaps, who could fill that role for you, or you could leave him as a DPR to where you could see you. This could be feasibly, whether it's Thibodeau versus Stingley here or Thibodeau versus Kyle Hamilton here, could see them leaning for the secondary help with what they have on the edge already yeah do you think not that like not that that's a great way to do business i just could see that being a decision they make whereas like you pair stingley with god my names are always bad today but the ohio state corner who please help me out wait he's third overall pick two years ago oh um jeffrey akuda jeffrey akuda there we go i can't blank it on names stayed up too late last night <laughs> um pair those two together that could be a sick combination. That's something that I would think long and hard about from the Detroit Lions. 
I think something too that we haven't discussed just in part of like not bringing up maybe Thibodeau as much as we or not going in detail with Thibodeau, right? Is he's huge, like he's big. He's six yeah. foot five, two fifty eight, listed at Oregon's website. I mean, he's going to show up and in that, that that's range, like right? all like frame, right? Yeah, now. yeah. Like he has the Miles Garrett esque frame, where it's just that dude has broad shoulders and is long, long and is massive, and that like he holds two sixty with he can put on ten more pounds probably in like six months. Measurements you know? will be key. Seeing what Thibodeau comes in. At an arm length perspective, same with Aiden, I think will be sweet. I think Aiden's listed at like six foot six, two sixty-five. Mm-hmm. When we had him on the show, he said he's he add he cut some weight this year. He was at yeah. two seventy, he was able to come down. Um with Thibodeau, him weighing in will also be an important part of the process. Houston Texans. They grab offensive tackle Evan Neal. I thought he had a really good game last night. I thought he played well. Evan Neal, man. This is a guy too where I don't again I don't think the 750 odds plus 750 seven and a half to one for him to go to number one overall pick are crazy because this guy's going to do things at the combine no one can do six foot seven 350 and what this guy is as an athlete is absolutely absurd yeah and it's he's going to go somewhere top five where you know everyone needs tackle seemingly except for the Lions at this point so where is just like whoever feels like pulling the trigger. And the Texans, pairing him with Laramie Tunsil would be a nice start for the Davis Mills era at quarterback. <laughs> the Davis Mills era. They did not like the pick on fire. It's just we have to we have to vet their religious statuses before the Texans are willing to. Jeez, come on. Don't don't drag the Texans any more than they need. Um, number four. That's a question. Jets. Now, I, I had this in my mock draft, too, from a couple weeks ago. And I think I've seen a couple of mock draft simulator sends for PFFs, which you haven't done. Mock draft simulator is is good fun there. Going out and just, just trying a bunch of shit, getting people, get, people, playing GM, I think is always a good time. But New York Jets, they don't want a corner, man. There's some people who are like, that's too early for Derek Stingley. They don't want to make that play. Are, are, are they crazy? Are okay, they crazy right. to think that? All right. So I've, I've heard this a number of times. I would love if someone has some, like, Words. I, I honestly looked for Robert Salah saying it's somewhere that he like doesn't value the cornerback position. But like when his defense is at his best, you had Richard Sherman on one side. It was the best defense he ever put out in his court, time as coordinator. So obviously it made a difference. Now it was also probably the best pass rush he had, but it's like they go hand in hand. So if someone out there as Jets fan listening to this podcast knows like where Robert Salah said like he doesn't value corner, like obviously they came in with the worst corner group in the NFL this year. So Someone they were in there. a joke. They were like, <laughs> yeah. they were, people were like, name a Jets corner as a joke. Yeah. So if you have information, please send it along to me. But as of now, with the state of that roster, that is what I would prioritize, especially with a guy like Derek Stingley, who, shit, if he played and was healthy the last two years, very well could have been the number one overall pick. He could have been the guy we're just holding up in this class as being like, yeah, yeah. he's different. He should be going go number one overall. Let's talk about the rest. I'm with you. I think Derek Stingley – is in is it has to be in consideration there, especially because you have if you're not going to Stingley, not going to go Stingley. I think the next position group you have to Stingley. look at as a value is offensive tackle or edge. Yeah, and I think Karloftis at four is the. I don't know if I've given my Karloftis take to you yet, but I don't think Karloftis is that far off from the top of the script. I, I don't think he's tier one. I wouldn't say tier one. You got sold by the interview. He I, got sold. I didn't. No, no, no. I, I I'm saying went back and watched the tape. I think this guy's going to test really well. He's got good size. Production's been there. I think he's improved really a ton over the course of this like year. Mm-hmm. I think he's a top five player. I think he can be a top five player. I think he's at least a top ten player. He's at least a top ten. Well, he is. He comes off the board here. And soon. Jets, Jets at four. I'm not. I'm not. Maybe it's crazy, 
But if you're not going to go off to tackle, because you obviously have still Charles Cross on the board, you'll probably have Ike Mekwanu on the board. If you're not going to continue to just like dump every resource you have in the offensive line, I don't think considering Karloftis is crazy. Now, I think I still would take Stingley over Karloftis. But I'm saying if the Jets are like, we're not going corner at four, like say say Saul said, we're not going corner at four, I just don't think that's stupid. So they have John Franklin Myers, who would be a similarly usaged player that I believe they're he's already on a second deal. Um, and they have Carl Lawson, who's coming back, who they're paying a lot of money, who TBD on whether he comes back healthy or not. So I, I wouldn't say – obviously, you never want to say, no, we don't need a pass rusher. But if I'm debating between the two and I have similar grades in the two, I'm drafting the cornerback with that roster. That's fair. No, I think that's fair. Yeah. And I think people – Jets fans will catch up maybe if Salah comes out and says Derek Stanley's sick. Like, he just needs one quote. Salah just needs to come out and drop one little quote. Jets fans are back on board. Yeah. New York. Now. I sent out a mock draft simulator screenshot and did not have the Giants taken off to tackle. And honestly, they wanted me dead in the street, too. They were literally looking for address to my homes. And I think that was an oversight on my part because I do think if Cross is available, Charles Cross, which you have here going to the Giants at five, that is the pick. Charles Cross is going to be talked about as this smooth-moving, athletic, offensive mm. tackle, dancing bear type. I know you love that comp. Mm, big dancing bear. And the Giants desperately need offensive line help. Like, desperately, desperately. So, in a class where that is a strength, Ike Aquanu, Evan Neal, Charles Cross should all be coming off the board in the first 15, 20 picks. I do think one of their top 10 picks, which they have the five and the seven, should be enough to tackle. I think at five, Charles Cross, I like that pick. Just take one. Yeah, just just take one. It's this one's this one. Don't overthink it. Yeah. yeah. Just take one. Cross, this year, only 16 pressures allowed. And on, I think, what, over like 300-plus pass-blocking snaps. Cross. Okay, in 719. His- 719 pass blocking snaps? Yeah, the best to be state fast. It's Mike Leach, buddy. Oh my um, God, I thought that was a typo. I was literally reading over that analysis because that's insane. Um, yeah. This season? Mean, yeah. It's Mike Leach, dude. dude uh, but he, he's he's very good in the mix. Uh, this tackle like class, I think Neil Cross, Aquano, and Aquano is a little bit of a different animal. Um, you feel very good about all of them. And depending on like, and like scheme could like sway your grade on how you want, how you see these three. Carolina Panthers at six. The more, I mean, the more you come on this pod and you're like, I like Sam Howell. I think he's going to go high. And the Panthers in a position again to get a top quarterback, if not the top quarterback, given how the first five went, you have them going Sam Howell at six. Matt Rule, though, as we saw on the last pod, is obviously committed to Sam Darnold. You're no, so excited I, about it, too. Dude, this is definitely, you know, cutting ties, right? This is like, you know, like moving past quickly and saying like, dude, fuck, this is not going to work. I know it was bad. Like, this is saying like what you were saying on the on the interview or like the post-game presser, right? It's like, this is saying, yeah, we made a mistake. We're trying to correct it now. Mm-hmm. If they don't go quarterback in this draft, they must hate the prospects, right? Like, you have to hate them. You have to hate them as prospects yeah. in the position you're in or and or. They're just unwilling to admit the second round pick and, you know, fifth year option mistake and will commit to Sam Darnold again and be in contention for number one overall for Bryce Young or CJ Stroud in 2023. Like, that's the decision you have to make with the sixth pick. They go Sam Howell here. Well, the kind of the, the shitty thing here is they would be, if they didn't make that Darnold trade, they would be a attractive trade partner for Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. Like, they would be getting one of those guys this year. I would imagine. I would think. If they had just kept Teddy Bridgewater on a lesser deal, whatever, and had the same roster, 
addressed maybe offensive line with some of that cap space and draft capital they're they're going to that they shipped over to get Sam Darnold, they would now be in the market for one of the better quarterbacks. But I'm not sure that's going to be the case anymore. You don't have as much cap space. It's going to be kind of a fit to get one of those top guys underneath your cap with only $26 million in space right now. It stands to where, and that's the case, they got to then yeah. play for the future. Like mm-hmm. with that $18 million of Sam Darnold sitting there, it's going to be on the books in 2022. So you've got to play for the future. Howell can sit behind Darnold or he could just shit step in and start right away. But the more I watch Howell, the comp that everyone's throwing around or will be throwing around Baker. is Baker Mayfield. The biggest weaknesses for Baker Mayfield are pocket presence yeah like adjusting in the pocket and like throwing from a base when he's like when shit's going bad around him always been a nightmare at that and then having throwing with touch the dude throws fucking lasers all die all day every day sam howell the better comp stylistically how he plays with like that sort of skill set and that's kind of eye type to me is russell wilson he tries to extend plays to a fault he gets in trouble with that but he throws with touch very well. That is why he had more big-time throws the last three years than anyone else in college football because he throws a gorgeous deep ball that is not lasers. He adjusts his arc on his deep balls consistently, and he has obviously operated in tight pockets. He had a dog shit offensive line in North Carolina that he had to play behind yeah. this past year, last year, succeeded behind. So I, I, that's why like Baker Mayfield, if you like see his tape, you're like, oh, you get those vibes. It's different. It's just is not going to be the same problems. You were, correct me if I'm wrong, persuaded by the interview. He was on the show. <laughs> he was, on the, he show. was on the show. I don't know what to tell I you. Didn't like, interview I him, get though. that you were persuaded by the interview. It's I'm I'm glad you're on board finally. Yeah. I, I I think talking about it more, the quarterback like decision to go quarterback or no quarterback for Carolina. Mm-hmm. If you love Sam Howell as a prospect, or you love Malik Willis, or you love Kenny Pickett, right? And you're there at six, you take him. Like if you like him more than Sam Darnold, that's it. Like it's like it, it, end of story, end of discussion. If you like Sam Howell or whatever quarterback you like in this class more than your current, and you're there at six, you take him. That's a fact. I don't care how much money you dumped into it, right? Like yeah. you have to do it. You have to make upgrades at the position when you can, right? With these other you know, teams drafting up, Jags are not going to say they like any of these quarterbacks rather than Trevor. Detroit is in that position potentially, right? But they're committed to Jared Goff so much. Jared Goff has the ninth highest cap hit of any quarterback in the NFL next year. Guy's making a ton of money. You almost can't do it. You almost can't commit to it unless you really like a quarterback and are willing to build him behind Jared Goff, right? Mm -hmm. With Houston, they're probably in that same tier as Carolina, right? Like if you don't, if you do like a quarterback better than Davis Mills, it also depends on what they do with Deshaun Watson. They could be there. Jets probably aren't going to say it over Zach Wilson. Giants are already committed to Joe Judge and Daniel Jones. I think the Panthers are maybe the second team after Texans where they, they have to say, like, yeah. do we like this guy more than Sam Darnold? Yeah. Or our current quarterback and go for The that. Giants are the interesting conversation here with two top seven picks, and we'll get to them next. The seventh pick, we have them going George Karloff's here in edge. But if they have their choice of the quarterback class, they like and they like one of those guys, shit like they did when they drafted Daniel Jones, it's going to be a new GM. He kind of has carte True. blanche. And now when you're a GM, kind of when you do draft that franchise quarterback, it buys you the time. So maybe you don't want to do it your first year, and maybe you want to do it your second year, whatever, especially if you have Joe Judge. And I'm not sure you're competing to win the East next year. So you may still have a top 10 pick in 2023. But if you really like one of these quarterbacks and you're the Giants, I would pull the trigger. It's again, because Daniel Jones, this is his last year being cheap. You know, this is it. And... Still don't know if he's good also. So a lot of things up in the air for them. The Giants are 
an interesting one. They're also the next pick here. You have them at seven after taking Charles Cross at five. This is the pick they received from the Bears in that trade. Edge, George Karloftis, Purdue guy, the guy I raved about mm-hmm. a bit. My comp for him right now Ooh. is Justin Tuck. And that okay. is obviously a former Giants player, also a former Raiders legend. And the reason for that is, is I do think this guy's going to go to the combine and be explosive. I think it could be low four sixes, maybe mid four sixes for George Karloftis. I do mm-hmm. think he has that like lower leg power in his game. He's also got good size. I think he wins with his hands. He wins through players. He can win through players with the speed of power. Where I do think there are concerns, and where you did maybe see this with Tuck, right, was the bend. Like, I don't know. Like, Karloftis is, in my opinion, what I've seen right now, obviously I can be completely wrong, but I don't think he's going to have the same, like, three-cone short shuttle as a Hutchinson or a Thibodeau at the top of this class. And that matters, man. Like, everyone's like, oh, just three-cone and he's a terrible player. It's like, no, that matters in terms of, like, determining who the top players are going from pick one, two to seven. However, I still think he's a phenomenal prospect. I like him comfortably high-end tier two in this edge class behind Hutchinson and Thibodeau. And I think at the seventh pick, I do like that value for New York if they are, like, committed to Daniel Jones and passing on this QB class. I do love the interracial comp too, because if you've ever read The Undoing Project, yeah, great book. Daryl Morey, the former GM of the Houston, Houston Rockets, Houston Rockets yeah. now I believe works for the 76ers in some fashion, used to only not allow comps unless they were interracial comps because he thinks people get swayed by pure cosmetics mm-hmm. of who a guy looks like, and then you talk yourself into them being that level of player at the next level when, obviously, if they're of different race, it's difficult to He, he talked. He, I mean, he talked in that book, which is a fantastic book, The Undoing Project, he talks a lot about just not doing comps in general, mm-hmm. right? Like, in comps, well, like, there was a... There There's was not going to be a lot of interracial comps I'm not a big, like, NBA guy. <laughs> like, I'm, like, really pretty good. strictly to, like, Warriors now. It's like, Monte Ellis, Andres Biedrin, Steven Jackson, that guy, that crew. But, like... We're a bad crew. He does shut up. <laughs> that was the We Believe crew, Baron Davis. I, I do think that he talks about um there's a player like they miss on, right? And like he like his model, like he's a big analytics guy. His model's like, I love this guy. I think this guy's really good. But his scouts in this kind of like money ball scene, you can kind of see it in your head. He's like, they're like, nah, he looks like this guy. Reminds me a lot of this mm. player. And they like then they ultimately sour on him and he ends up being like a really productive player in the NBA. I don't remember the name, yeah. I apologize. But that is a good reason again to like it has to shift your brain, right? Like you have to like move off of like these obvious similarities in like race um and like motor i mean some of these things right and then like i mean that's why i, I like your sam hall howell comp too like the russell wilson thing mm-hmm. i think it's solid too. and it's also because a lot of comp like a comp itself is a small sample size you know like yeah. it's one person so like saying he is this guy you're basing it off of one thing that happened not a string of things that happened so that like you're far easily swayed by limited information and guys fail and succeed oftentimes at the NFL level for things that we don't see or that have nothing to do with actual physical ability on Mm -hmm. the football field, you know? On to Falcons. Um, Do you like my Justin Tuck comp outside of, in addition to that? Do you like me as a person? (laughs) That's TBD. Yeah. Atlanta Falcons safety, Kyle Hamilton. There are some Falcons fans looking to get to the dogs here. They want a Georgia dog, especially after the national championship. They want Davis. They want Dean. They want Tyndall. They want all the – I mean, Darion Kendrick, too. They want Georgia's defense. They want Georgia's defense, which, I mean, which honestly – I can't blame them. They're, it's a close <laughs> – it's a, it's a toss-up right I now. I didn't ask you this question on the national championship stuff, but we're talking the offense about if you put the best players on Bama and Georgia, mm-hmm. right, together on a team in the NFL, and they were allowed a 90-man active roster. Okay. So they got depth for days. Yeah. And they went against the Giants team, the same one that played in week 17 or 18, mm-hmm. with Fromm starting and all that. What's the line? What's the spread? 
Uh, dude, it's in not in long. in Tuscaloosa, Giants probably by like six and a half. Yeah, maybe right. I, I mean, it would be a game. So, so one of the underrated things everyone always talks about. I like the. It's a fun conversation. Everyone always talks about you know the can Bama beat X Y Z team, but I think it, one thing that's different in college and. Yeah, the schemes aren't quite as complex and whatnot, but those guys have been in a system for three or four years. Like they know that system inside and out. Like they, whether it's the offensive scheme, defensive scheme, a lot of guys come into a team and this is their first year there. They're still kind of you know getting their feet wet to a degree. Where in college, like the the well coached teams, shit, Bama, don't make a lot of like mental scheme schematic mistakes that you know, a poorly coached team at the NFL level does. Not that, obviously, the biggest factor, though, is still grown men along the line of scrimmage. We see it with, like I said, defense tackle struggling early in the gate, early in their careers, how it being so difficult to translate on the off the line. That's going to be the biggest issue for any team. Going to use that as a launch point before we get to eight and the rest of the picks in this mock draft. DraftKings, we've hit the final week of the pro football uh, regular season and college football is heading to a close. I guess it is closed uh, for the national championship. DraftKings Sportsbook has an unbelievable offer to get all fans in on the action for this exciting time on the football calendar. New customers can bet just $5 on any football team to win, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. So let's wind down the season with a big dub. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any football team, college or pro, and win $200 in free bets if they're victorious. That's promo code PFF. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit, $1 wager required. One per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. On to number eight. So Kyle Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton in some mock drafts has fell or fallen you know, outside the top 10. I think some of that being positional value. Where do you think his floor is? Before you talk about the fit with Atlanta. Crazy to me. Yeah, where do you think his floor is, right? What's the crazy? What would be like... No way he falls past X. Like no way he falls past 10, 12. You have him going to the Falcons, you can talk about that next. But I think with this draft class, with the talent level there, sort of like there's not a ton of elite players and there's not a ton of quarterbacks. If he falls past eight, I'd be floored. Like this is like I'm not I'm never say a floor after Derwin James fell to 17 at the safety position. Because that one blew my mind. But if he falls past eight, I'd be floored. Falcons fit. You like that? Six foot four, two twenty. Fit anywhere with him. Yeah. So everyone talked about Isaiah Simmons and him needing like a role. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case with Hamilton. I think he's a much smoother athlete and honestly just a much better a a better prospect, whether it's at linebacker or safety. I just think Simmons was a little was a lot stiffer than Hamilton is athletically. This next pick is where I kind of have some disagreement. Yeah. Denver Broncos at nine. They go linebacker Devin Lloyd of Utah, who is a you phenomenal— You hate Devin Lloyd. I get it. No, I don't hate Devin Lloyd. I think he's a phenomenal off-ball linebacker. I think the Broncos are better positioned here, especially with Aki Aquanu still on the board, which you have going next to the Jets. Mm-hmm. I think they go lineman, right? Like, Aki no. Aquanu could come in and play yeah. tackle yeah. and go play or play on the interior if they want to kick him inside. Like, yeah, Garrett Bowles is playable outside. I, I think they need help there. And I think more valuable position, a top-10 pick— I don't think I'm going to take the second, you know, or I guess you have him as the first linebacker off the board ahead of Kobe Dean. But I think I don't. I don't think as much as there is a need there, right? They've been playing some dog shit uh, off ball linebackers down the stretch. I don't think the need overcomes value. What did you say? You don't draft for need. You <laughs> draft for value. I think the value here with Aquanu still on the board for me. I think I'd rather go Aquanu over Lloyd. Not saying Lloyd's a bad player. I think everyone says that, but 
I like Aquanu here for Broncos, but uh, talk to me about Lloyd. Yeah, so Juwan James, gone. Yeah. That was one of the worst. I mean, it's unfortunate, right? Yeah, like most unfortunate free agent insane. signings. Yeah. Um, so I get tackle. Yeah, tackles also need. But linebacker, I think him and Baron Browning could be a sick tandem going forward. I believe Alexander Johnson's a free agent this upcoming offseason, so TBD on if he resigns. He resigns, probably not going to draft Evan Lloyd. But that is an athletic, rangy, dynamic duo that I would just yeah like. You think it would be fun to watch, which yeah. I know that dictates a lot of your analysis. I love that tweet, by the way, last night on the college football playoff. Being it's fun, fun to watch. watch. Um, oh, I still got to call each position group fun to watch in this class. You I will. haven't even started. You yeah. will. I'll start with the quarterback class. Just Tell us week. when we're at the senior bowl, say the senior bowl has been fun to watch all week. I think yeah. that's that. I, I'll call it right fun now. Fun to watch these guys. I'll call it right now. 400 likes. Easy. Minimum. <clears throat> minimum. Can I say minimum? All right. New York Jets. At 10, they grab Iki Aquanu, friend of the show. That makes three top 10 picks who've been on this show inside the top 10, which you just, no, four, four top 10 picks who've been on the show, which you just freaking love to see. But 10, Iki Aquanu, I'm a huge fan of Aquanu, bully in the run game, and has improved so much in pass protection, so much that like everyone's calling him a tackle now. Mm -hmm. I think going into this year, people are like, ah, maybe he kicks inside the guard next year. Whatever. I think arm length will come up, right? If he has the arm length, you know, meets that threshold, he's good. I looked it up. There's only one tackle who I think has less than 33-inch arms in the NFL. That played. Smith. No, I think he has 30, He has 33 on the dot. Patrick McCarry is the only one with under 33. But Patrick McCarry is a former center for the ba- uh, Cal yeah. and now playing tackle just because of injuries, right? Only off the tackle to play 400-plus snaps this well, year. Brian Smith didn't even play tackle until he got to the Colts. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. He played guard at Auburn. Yeah. Like, so these guys were not tackles until they got to the NFL. Brian Smith, 32 and a quarter. Get it. Oh, I'm an idiot. So I guess... Braden Smith. I, I know my arm lines. Braden Smith and Patrick McCarry, they told only yeah. two tackles with sub 33 inch arms. That's going to show up. Everyone's like, what's it matter? Just an inch. I mean, <laughs> it matters, all right? Yeah, Just an I mean, inch can always go far, go a long way. And Nick Juan. That's why I try to be arguing with my girlfriend. So. <laughs> Just an inch, damn it. Um, no, I think with Aquanu, I mean that's gonna come up, right? But like you cross this threshold of thirty-three, it's you're in the you're in the money area. So Jets offensive tackle, Aquanu, Mackay Becton. Yeah. Yes, I'm in fan. Elijah Vera Tucker and then Aquanu. This thing's getting getting built up. Yeah, so for the Jets with those two top ten picks, um, I think one of them we would love it to be a tackle, offensive line help. And I know everyone else would like love a wide receiver, get us number one. Drake London, I can see here at 10, even after like the broken ankle. But like, I think you can sneak one in the second round if you're the Jets. Like, like getting Elijah Moore last year. Like, I think they can do hit a similar sort of pick at the wide receiver position where a guy is legitimately talented. They make an impact in the second round. Not going to be the case at tackle. Not going to be the case at corner comparatively to Derek Stingley at least. On to the 11th pick, Drake London. Can I just pause real quick? We have a draft guy to add here in our mock draft, and the biggest face among them is Spencer Rattler. I that love just, that. That's got to go. I'll, 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 make, I'll, I'll make some changes. I'll, I'll work on that. I'll work on that. Ousted. Uh, wide receiver one coming off the board here. Drake London, first receiver off the board. Guy who did, bat, did obviously broke his leg this year and missed out winning the Blitnikoff Award. Before. So I, I guarantee you. If he just was healthy, right? He could even like gone like yeah. had a terrible back half of the season. He still would have been a Bolitnikov Award winner. The only reason he didn't win it was um getting hurt, right? Breaking his leg. Six foot five, two ten. You've comped him to Brandon Marshall. I'm in love with that comp. I don't love it. I'm in love with it. Mm. Um Washington football team snags him at eleven. I think it's a great compliment to Terry McLaurin. And yeah. ultimately, if they get a good quarterback, like it could be a good situation for Washington. I I think getting London here is great. 
if they like a quarterback though, like if you you have Pickett going next to the Vikings, like fuck, dude, they they got to swing a bat here. It's the eleventh pick, right? This is different than the top ten. Once you get outside the top ten, I mean, the, the range of outcomes starts to reduce. I need to see quarterback for Washington here. Yeah. If you like one of these guys, right? If Howell's there, if Pickett's there, Willis, Corral, like make a play, dude. I think you have to make a play at QB. My thought was this is a team that's going to get one this offseason. Okay, some way. You're foreseeing the future. Yes, that's that's was my thought. And that's my thought with the next pick after this. But if you get a quarterback this offseason, Drake London is probably the wide receiver I would target here with Terry McLaurin in tow, with Curtis Samuel in tow. This is your third and five guy, you know, third and seven. Those guys, McLaurin and Samuel are sub four fours. Those guys have speed. You got the you got that in the bag. You got guys who can yak in the bag. You don't have this type of wide receiver if you are the Washington football team. So that's why I go London here. Yak in the bag? Yards after catch. In the bag? That kind of <laughs> sounds like... It's not great. Day, Daytona Peach. <laughs> Minnesota Vikings, I kind of allude to it, but Kenny Pickett, Pittsburgh quarterback. He's the second quarterback off the board. Yeah, Sam Howell going to Carolina. Pickett to Minnesota. Does this mean they move on from Kirk Cousins in this future you're drawing up? Yes. And where does you Kirk have Cousins go? You have a new head coach. You have a new GM. You have no ties. And if you have no ties to Kirk Cousins, not sure, not sure you're going to walk in and be like, I love this. Especially how much money he's doing. Exactly. And how much money and how shrewd he is as a negotiator for his future contracts. So, yes, I could see them wanting to get out from under the balloon that is $45 million on their cap next year. That's that's tough. Yeah, I mean, I think with the new GMU co- new coach, obviously you had Zimmer and Spielman both get fired on Monday. That it has it has to change, right? Like if you commit to Kirk Cousins again, like you can't. What you know? What's that expression? Fuck, doing what's crazy if you keep repeating it, something like that. I mean, going back with Kirk Cousins, the definition of insanity. Definition yes. of insanity if they go back with Kirk Cousins this year. Yeah. Move on from him. Spend that money elsewhere. Upgrade this roster. Maybe Doing go the, the same you know thing. go the rookie quarterback route and try and develop something there. I think mm-hmm. that makes a ton of sense. Uh, Thirteen, Cleveland Browns, Jamison Williams, not RIP. I I tweeted last night. I still think he goes inside the first twenty picks. Speed matters, and if depending on the ACL injury, right? If it's a clean ACL, there is like a decent recovery time in play. Um, I I kind of take it to remember Marquise Brown. And he was hurt at the combine, and he was able to go to the combine, but he wasn't able to test. He had like that lingering foot injury that yeah. he suffered in the Big Twelve championship. And he showed up really light, or whatever. Yeah, yeah he showed up like like what? I think it could be similar to that. Mm-hmm. I know the ACL is different, whatever. I mean, recovery time is more concrete. Like with Brown, it wasn't obvious like when he'd be back, but he did miss a lot of the offseason. I think Jamison Williams, and he still went. Uh, by the way, twenty fifth, I think, to the Baltimore Ravens. Like Jamison Williams, I still think you know first twenty picks, maybe that's rich, but first round player, right? Like and thirteen. Probably too rich. You probably have him falling a bit, bit here, but I guess where do you think he ultimately falls and uh, the fit with the Browns? Well, I'm mean, sure Jalen Waddle couldn't, he didn't test last year. True. He still had that lingering ankle injury that was probably about a six month injury when all told. So it's not unprecedented. Now, obviously, you'd rather he didn't have an ACL if you're going to draft him this highly, but and you have four months here to get your rechecks on how his recovery is going to where. We'll obviously know more by then, but if, assuming the same recovery that you know, assuming full recovery, I, I don't see you dropping his grade that much to where if you coveted him before because of his speed, that ain't going anywhere, you know. Yeah. Um, let me go ahead and 
jump to the next pick here. Sorry. Baltimore Ravens. Trayvon Walker at 14. You right here. Walker looks like the Terminator with how he runs down ball carriers at 6'5", 275. While he's got almost nothing to speak of in the way of pass rushing moves, you can't coach what he can do physically. Not, I mean, that's, I mean, George Who did you run down yes, yesterday? He he made a play like 30 yards down the field yesterday, Trayvon Walker. I don't do you know, know if I, I, don't know if I caught that. I he, was kind of like upset. It was a pass. Was I think he down. ran down a pass as a defensive lineman, like 30 yards downfield. Maybe it was a run. But at 275 pounds, he's probably going to run in like the four sevens. Really? At that size. My he God. monster, this dude. Um, and Ravens, that's just their track record. They develop defensive linemen. They, they draft these guys, and they make something out of them. So – I could see them coveting that skill set. Man, that sounds uh, a treat. I haven't watched a ton of his film this year. I got to get into it. Philadelphia Eagles, Edge, David, Ajabo. Now, so I thought I think it's all Lance Zerline, who's been on this show before. He's also, I think, the draft guy for, that's fucked up, draft analyst for NFL media. Mm-hmm. He said Ajabo might have a better pass rushing ceiling than Hutchinson, which, <sighs> and he's like, talk, baby. Yeah, ceiling talk Gets is always going. great. Ceiling talk's always great. Whew. But Ajabo, he said, already like can't even play like on rundowns, right? Like he has to improve there. It's yeah. the guy that we've talked about who's from Scotland, like originally like born, I think, in Scotland. 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 That was bad. Um yeah. who went to the United States, didn't start playing football till late, like had to learn like what a spike he, he was. was not from like, Scotland. I think he was from Really? Else. I thought he was born in Scotland. Um, uh, let me look. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. But anyway, Ajabo fifteen to the Philadelphia Eagles. Yes. So Eagles MO, O line, D line, the first round. They built through trenches. That's Howie Roseman. It's what he wants. Ajabo, yeah, maybe he's a little bit of a project, but I don't think that scares away the Eagles. That's, again, they've been doing that his entire tenure and it won them Super Bowl. So I think they are going to address those high-value positions once again with those three first-round picks. I'm going to say something that I think is maybe you're going to hate. Mm. Everyone in the draft is a project. It just depends on like how much investment you need to like get that project professional and working well in the NFL. Ajabo... Born in Nigeria. Born in Nigeria. There you go. I think I had that written. He's so, moved to Scotland when he was seven. But so born in Niger- Nigeria, moved to Scotland, and then I think he settled in New Jersey. But my my I mean, take. But what a guy can't see the field on rundowns. That's like a little bit more of a project. Yeah. Kind of like Jason Oway last year, mm-hmm. who really didn't even start until his junior year because, you know, you're behind the eight ball. But when you have an excuse, excuse when you have like a reason where you've only played football for five years, like Ojabo, like Oway, like some other guys, that's. Yeah. When you've been that guy your entire life and played football since you were in Pee Wee and you're still a project and maybe you're a redshirt senior, it's like, where's where are we going? You know, I mean, he, yeah, he's definitely in this tier of project where I have not played a lot of football, right? And yeah. like still needs to develop a ton from that perspective. But like all these guys, right, like need to get better in the NFL. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles at 16. Ahmad Gardner. Moving him up. Didn't you move up to the draft board too? I think he's up in the top 15 on PFF's draft board. The cornerback for Cincinnati, physical guy. I can't believe I called him a mod. His nickname is Sauce, and I should be saying that more. Sauce, Gardner, Cincinnati, going to Philly. We tweeted that out, and I think Darius Slay retweeted it. Darius Slay wants some help out there in Philly. He's like, who the fuck I got across from me? Um, (laughs) Now, Gardner, the Alabama tape, I'm sold. I'm sold. Him against the releases of Jamison Williams was very impressive. Like 24 of his 34 coverage snaps came in press coverage. He's at the line of scrimmage against a talented dude, first-round dude, and he's right there with him. And that's not to say he didn't have some like reps that were, weren't were 100% great, but the vast majority of his reps were exceptional. And when you're that type of corner, 
that he is. That's so physically imposing. It's 6'3", 200 pounds, so long. He's probably going to have like 33-inch arms at the combine. He's pterodactyl at the position. You don't need to be the stickiest cornerback. Like it's, I'm thinking of like James Bradbury. Mm-hmm. Like James Bradbury eliminates you, eliminates opposing wide receivers a lot. He also... If he doesn't get a, if a guy gets a clean release on him, he's also kind of screwed a lot of times. But like, just eliminating a dude at the line of scrimmage is so valuable to a defense when you can do that in press coverage. That you know, a five five eleven cornerback who's like 190, 190 doesn't do can't yeah. do that. They don't do that. Like they have to get by by sticking in a receiver's hip pocket the entire route. Gardner can just stop routes before they start. Basically, and that's the value you can bring to your team. Los Angeles Chargers at 17. I think this will be, uh, mark it down, the most mocked. <laughs> this will be the most mocked player to team. Like you, every mock draft you read will yeah. have this. Outside I think, of like the top, yeah, whatever. Well, yeah, of one, course, two, outside three. like Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau. But you will see this pairing outside the top 16, probably in every mock draft. Jordan Davis, defensive tackle. Defensive tackle probably puts it lightly, like literal monster, mobile home maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, going to the Los Angeles Chargers who have been butt cheeks against the run all year long. Yeah, he's, I mean, do you uh, even need to explain this one, source. right? I, I guess talk about Jordan Davis as a first-round caliber player and spending that pick on if I think we've talked about this. Okay. We've talked about a lot. If you're expecting him to affect the passing game, you're just, just going to be disappointed. Yeah, you know? I don't think it's ever going to be who he's going to be. But he had that sack early in the game, and everyone I think saw like Twitter was like, "Oh my God, Jordan Davis, the pass rusher!" But like, dude, the center it wasn't like, even a sack; it was ended up being an incomplete pass. Oh, that's right. No, but that's right. A, yeah, it was a stunt mm-hmm. that Jalen Carter, I believe. I think it was Jalen Carter, maybe blew it up. Wyatt. But he was the one who blew that up with a little inside spin. But Davis is just it doesn't have that kind of mobility. But at 360 pounds, he moves better than every other guy. Dude, the lateral, <laughs> the lateral, like moving in a straight line. Yeah. I think it's sometimes like, wow, that guy's kind of moving slow. But laterally. I mean, it's why he's so good against the run, right? Like, he can move gap to gap like a motherfucker. This but, guy is, like, insane lateral. Yeah, so just watching this charge defense and a lot of these light box defenses, you have to have the, the DTs have to stop the run. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that is, you can That's get a good by comment too. when you're the Chargers with Joey Bosa rushing the passer. That can be your pass rush. Now, obviously, you'd like another one, but at 17 overall, you're not getting the sort of cream of the crop in the pass rushing class, but you can get the cream of the crop in run defense. You can get the guy that it's about a sure I never call struggle call a guy a sure thing, but about a sure thing in run defense as you know, we've seen since I don't know, it's like Vita Vea. Like yeah. like he's not Vita Vea's prospect. Vita Vea moved way better than Jordan Davis did. Vita Vea was a true freak. But Jordan Davis will hold up to double teams, will hold will two gap one on one, and you can feel good about him in the run game. And that's something that's shit. Do not even come close to having right now in this charge defense. Yeah, and I think that's another. I think Eric wrote a piece about can, like, can get value. Jerry Tillery from not playing eight hundred fifty snaps. Bus watch, right? Have you put him on bus watch, Jerry Tillery? He was. We've written off. <laughs> uh, he has flashes though. I'll just keep stop, saying it. Stop. He stop. plays too many snaps. I'm talking to myself in. Jordan Davis. Anyway, Eric Eager. I keep bringing up Eric, but he does a lot of great work for PFF. He's like the literal lead You're for research and development at PFF. Also a good friend of mine. He wrote you a piece on the value, you. <laughs> the value of nose tackles. Yeah. And like when you want to run a ton of too high and you want to run light boxes to encourage people to run, that doesn't mean they can just run for eight yards a pop. And a lot of the reason why teams can get away with that is you have a beefcake like Jordan Davis up top that can make the plays that he can to get like he can. So the value of run defense 
by itself, right, can sometimes get scoffed at by analytics. The run game in general can get scoffed at in terms of value. But in terms of the value of like having one guy that can do a lot of things against the run, like multiple gaffes, that's what Davis brings. And uh, the more I talk about that, right, and like he doesn't have value as a pass rusher. He doesn't have value as a pass rusher. If he can do that, and you know he's going to do that, mm-hmm. I can get talked into bringing him as a top 20 player, right? Like, <gasps> Right? <gasps> so if we think about, you know, value... In, I mean, you have Linderbaum going class. a few plays later, right? I mean, Linderbaum, another interior lineman that is yeah. low value on the positional value chart. And like, no one's even going to, no one's even going to bring that conversation up, right? But then it's like, Jordan Davis is going to play 550 snaps. Is the the snap thing. question is legitimate. Yeah. And Kirby Smart even called that out in his post game last, last night. He's like, people called us out saying we were, um, you know, not conditioned. I think some people did talk about the Jordan Davis stuff. We talked about the Jordan Davis stuff. You and it, like, <laughs> if you can also in these interviews, right, talk about Jordan Davis and like why he's coming off the field, and is it you know because there is a conversation around like they just have so many talented players, like yeah. why you know why not keep a fresh rotation? If Davis can come in and play 600, 700 snaps, that's a different story. Yeah, I mean the last drive of the game or the before the pick six, Davis wasn't in there, you know. Yeah, and there's a reason because yeah, that's fair. All right, we'll cover the 18 pick and then kind of speed through the last ones because obviously those are unfinalized. When the Raiders go to the Super Bowl, they're not going to be picking at 23. They're going to be picking at 32. Yeah. 18. And David Carr will be making the argument that he's the most valuable player of all time. Maybe he is. Uh, 18, New Orleans Saints. This is a dream scenario for them. If they have an opportunity, a quarterback prospect like Corral 18, which I think they could be in this class, I, I think this is awesome. I, I think at 18, getting an investment in Corral, maybe you're getting a discount because the injury he had in the bowl game, is, is, is where this team needs to go, right? They have so much talent on both sides of the ball, like talent all along the offensive line. Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas should be coming back from injury, all the shit. Where they need to do, what the New Orleans Saints need to do is get cheaper at valuable positions. Well, hell. Cheapest, you know, most valuable well, position in the NFL is Corral. I mean, you can't, yeah. you have to bring in quarterbacks that uh, you have to try and chase this rookie contract shit. They literally have, uh, they literally have to have a quarterback under a contract with the rest of this roster. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it, it doesn't work. They, they could not fit Drew Brees on this team right now. You know, they couldn't fit Aaron Rodgers if they mm-hmm. wanted to. If Aaron Rodgers is like, I want to be a New Orleans Saint tonight, it'll just be Aaron Rodgers next year. <laughs> every cut, other like, guy, everybody, every single other player will be gone. No, but that's so they, they have to. They, they, this is where they have to go unless they can convince, you know, Jameis to sign for $3 million. Or like I mean, trade could, back and simply, like, they could also trade back. I mean, they don't ever trade back, but, but like, let's be real. You weren't good enough with Jameis either. So, yeah. All right. I'm going to get through these picks and then we'll go to the bus watches. And I got to get out of here. I got a hard 230, my guy. Yeah. Uh, we'll just, we'll say, just go look at the picks. Oh, wow. No, website. I can't do. People right, just, hate when just run through the picks. Run through. Philadelphia Eagles at 19. They grab Tyler Linderbaum, Iowa center. 20. Pittsburgh Steelers grab off to tackle Trevor Penning, friend of the show. Both of those guys are. Another friend of the show, New England Patriots grab wide receiver Jahan Dotson, Penn State wideout at 21. Dolphins grab Garrett Wilson, wide receiver, Ohio State man. Next pod, I got to bring up. You have Dotson go over Wilson. Dotson over Wilson? All right, Raiders go. Um, Patriots fit. It's fit. Raiders at 23 grab cornerback Andrew Booth Jr. of Clemson. 24 Arizona Cardinals grab San Diego State legend Cameron Thomas, the edge defender at 25. Doubt they make it this far when they lose to the Raiders. But Cincinnati Bengals, interior offensive lineman Kenyon Green. Bills, cornerback Trent McDuffie, Washington. Dallas at 27 grabs Nicobe Dean of Georgia. 28 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Roger McCreary of Auburn. 29 Kansas City Chiefs, wide receiver Traylon Burks. 30 Detroit Lions. Desmond Ritter, Cincinnati, Tennessee at 31, Arnold Evichetti, Penn State, and at 32, Bernard Raymond of Central Michigan. Bus watch, super bus watch, et cetera. Starting with bus watch, this is an insane one. You're already putting him on here. You're done. You've been talking about his game, and now you're talking him down. Tua Tungavailoa on bus watch. Yeah. Wow. 
I thought you liked some of his game this year. I thought you were on yeah, to in that seven-game win streak. There is, there's things to like. It's like you – I was just giving objective evaluations of his play in real time. And objectively, the past four weeks of the season were bad, you know? Yeah. And I get that he doesn't have a ton of help. Offense line's very bad. But he's making bad decisions, like, even not under pressure at times. And, like, his process has been sped up by the offensive line – and it's kind of that Daniel Jones dichotomy of like, what will he look like when it is a good situation? And honestly, I think he's shown more, in my opinion, than even Daniel Jones has. But I, I think a lot of people would say that. Yeah. But it's still worth questioning where where he can take you high-end-wise. Yeah. You know, he's very accurate, but the arm strength is limited. And if he is going to be that guy who brain farts twice a game, which... 22 turnover where he plays this season. That's about two a game with how many games he played. You, he's not overcoming that with big plays. You know, he's not. You can be that guy. You can brain fart twice a game if you're Brett Favre, and you have a howitzer, and you can create a 60 yard touchdown that maybe five other quarterbacks in the NFL history would have done. Tua is not that guy though. Tua has to play. Perfect. He has to play Drew Brees-esque decision-making yeah. football. Will he get there? I don't know. Drew Brees wasn't that great his first three years either. But right now, two years in, I think Miami's going to move on from this offseason. The thing Tua, in my opinion, desperately needs, whether it's from Miami or someone else, one, obviously an offensive line similar to the one or at least closer to what he had at Alabama. Mm -hmm. Two, some fucking confidence. Like he is not – like no one – no yeah. one has shown any confidence in Tua Tungvalu, whether it's the literal coaching staff they have, the front office, or the media. And you know, call me, you know that you know mm -hmm. tinfoil hat or whatever. Like, oh, you can't play when you know whatever. But like, dude, <laughs> you need someone to show up and say, like, dude, we're gonna got we got you, and we're gonna build up this offensive line. We're gonna add some talent. We're gonna make some moves here. All right, I I will never understand it. And the Brian Flores situation, like ownership, GM or whatever, dictating, hey, you got to start Tua. Where do where do they get off? You know, like where, where what are they thinking when they make decisions like that or make mandates like that, knowing that it's never going to end well? It's like why do you hire a head coach to then not trust him, to then micromanage him, to try to do his job for him? It's just like that was never going to end well. Like making a dictate, kind of like the Bears this year, dictating Justin Fields. Like there's no good sort of no good is going to come of that. With the current regime, if the coach themselves doesn't think the guy's ready to start, I mean, like, there's never been a good situation where it's like, hey, you have to force this guy to start. That never should, that just never ends well. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's no, I, get, I get what you're saying. Other bus watch, Big Ben. Big Ben. I thought it was going to be it for him. Last ride. Now he's in the playoffs. I mean, it is it. But he's a 13 point dog in Arrowhead. It is it for him. But I am curious to see, to, to have the debate. He's a Hall of Famer. Of, I know he's a Hall of Famer, but where he ranks in the echelon of probably like quarterbacks in the past decade to you, is he above Matt Ryan on your list? Yes. Below Matt Ryan. So above. firmly above Matt Ryan, even though he didn't win an MVP and Matt Ryan did. No, he won two Super Bowls. But he won two Super Bowls. Is he above Eli Manning on your list? Yes. Okay. Is he, how does he compare to someone like Philip Rivers, who was very good, maybe arguably better statistically, but didn't mm -hmm. come. I, I like Big Ben. I like, like Big, Big ben. ben. I mean, so, Okay. These arguments come up, right, where, like, yeah. how much do Super Bowls matter? It's pretty much what the argument is. Yeah. And 
those moments matter, dude. It's a small sample size sport. When you show up in the stretch you need to win a fucking Super Bowl, it's insane. Yeah. To do it when everyone else wants to win it. The better quarterbacks, right? Like you have to go against these better quarterbacks and beat them. You have to go against Rivers. You have to go against Ryan. You have to go against, I don't know, Eli Man. You have to go toe-to-toe with these guys to win. And he did. And that matters. I don't care what the help you had. I don't care. You know, he had Antonio Brown. He had Le'Veon Bell. I don't care. Like that is hard to do. You were the most important player on your team and you won two Super Bowls. Like statistically throw it out the window. Matt Ryan did not show up in those moments. Bill Rivers did not show up in those moments. Eli Manning did, but I think Big Ben has been a better player than Eli Manning in his career. Honestly, I think Big Ben, this is going to be a take that I'm not sure. I Let's go. There. Social media, listen up. For their careers, I would have rather had Big Ben than Drew Brees. Wow. I think Big Ben was a better quarterback. Wow. Don't put that on a graphic. No one wants to hear that. I think Big Ben was a better quarterback over the course of their careers. I like if I'm starting the franchise, I would have rather had Big Ben. Than, I, I think he was very good. I kind of want that in a cold graphic. Now, obviously pumped up like record-wise by the fact that Pittsburgh's had defenses year in, year out, year in, year out. But also, where was where was the where was the offensive guru for Ben Roethlisberger? You know, like who where were they? Who was running this newfangled scheme? Or like, you know, where was the Sean Payton to Ben Roethlisberger's talent that Drew Brees had? That Ben Roethlisberger came in the NFL and averaged eight point nine yards per attempt as a rookie. He went fifteen and one back in 04. He was. To me, he was like a natural quarterback-ish, like Brett Favre-ish, Patrick Mahomes-ish, where it's like he had it. Like you, you didn't have to coach whatever he had. He was he didn't need to know what you know a nickel defense was to know how to beat him. He was that kind of guy that if he did ever get like a collection of talent, and like there were years he did 15, 16, that he put up numbers with you know Antonio Brown, with gosh the Clemson wide receiver whose name escaped, Mar Tavis Bryant. Like there were years there where he was Emmanuel tough. Sanders, dude. Emmanuel Sanders, that he, he was Heath diff- Mill. So that's I, I have a fairly high opinion of Ben Roethlisberger and like the echelon of quarterbacks yeah. of the past. Oh, and, and recency bias is the only thing that's souring you on yeah. Ben Roethlisberger's career. Yeah. I mean, over the past few years, he's also said some dumb shit. I mean, there's part of that. Oh yeah, too. I mean, he's probably an asshole. Whatever, yeah. all the off field, not great. But let's get to this next name on Breakout Watch: Xavier McKinney, former second round pick, former Bama. Safety now playing for the Giants in his first year in 2020, only played 211 snaps due to injury. This past year, over 1,100 snaps played, a 75.3 PFF grade and a 78.3 coverage grade, improving year over year, playing more snaps, liking him as a breakout player. Yeah, I, I felt the need to give some love to the Giants. They've had one of the most. True. They, if you listen to the forecast, there's been no, literally, if you, I mean, like just looking at the roster, there's not a lot of signs of life, but there are some. He being one of them. I think it was terrific this year. thought he really made next step. Five picks, four pass breakups. And he was one of those guys to where I think everyone was in virtual agreement, like pre-draft. It's like, yeah, Xavier McKinney's going to be a good NFL player. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't think anyone thought he could be drafted and then be bad bust out of the NFL in four years. Yeah. Literally no one thought that. Less of a project when I was calling everyone a project. Yes. There you go. <laughs> that, that Exactly. Precisely. That guy did not have a high learning curve when getting to the NFL. But it was just for some reason, he falls to 36 overall. And I was just like, oh, yeah, he's going to be fine. And yeah. lo and behold, he's been good. And it's some of that's chasing ceiling. 4-6-1, I believe he ran. Not this high-end athlete that goes in the first round. But he's still got a good football player. I think those guys... I think you get by as a franchise more, especially when you draft in like the 20s, when you are a, guy, a team that wins regularly by drafting guys like McKinney who are maybe not ever going to look like Derwin James. Yeah. 
but they're good football players. Officially unwashed-watched. Washed watch, as in fading. I've been, I've been fading some. Big-name players. Well, some, some back to or, uh, some bucks this year. I think we this had next buck. We had Sherman on it, maybe? Do we have Sherman on it? Don't. He's a PFF employee. Oh, he's he's a co-worker. You, you fade Sherman and die. <laughs> no, yeah, we didn't have Sherman. He's gonna see no, Sherman's office. great. He's a he's a pro. I think Richard Sherman is an All Pro. It was a, he was the biggest snub in my opinion. That Absolutely, All Pro. I think he should be paid more. Yeah, by I, not us. We don't have that <laughs> money, but I think Tampa Bay should maybe show him a couple more dollars. But uh, uh, the thing about Dominican Sue though is I need to announce a name. You're just going to tell us. I, oh, I'm, I'm using Dominican Sue now. So I wanted to. Can I lead in with this? Dominican Sue, 2018, 80.0 PFF. Are you grade. pronouncing the G in Dominican? In Dominican. Pronouncing like Donkey Kong. Is, do you pronounce the G? Let yeah. me look up the pronunciation. It's definitely in Domicong. Why did you ever just go by Kong? That's a good question. Because I think it's pronounced in Domicon. Like, is it? Let me look this up. Okay, you I, I'm gonna, you look I'll, it up. <laughs> okay. I will say why in Domican Sue. Yeah, it's not there's no G, but so he what he's the ultimate. So he's played like Oh, it's in Domican. He's played an insane amount of snaps this <laughs> Dude's average over nine hundred snaps a season for his for his entire NFL career. He's never gotten hurt. Like seriously hurt. Still playing 718 snaps this year at 35 years old. Wow. True Iron Man. Uh, Iron Man of Iron Men. But also at that like snap level, like I think he could for one game if he wanted to put it together. Like he still probably has it somewhere. Yeah. But just asking a 35-year-old to like, go week in and week out. I mean, he had a 49.4 overall grade this year. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's a legit liability. I mean, his grade is them. literally – fell over the last four years yeah. like each year it's gotten worse i mean age catching up to indomitian it's indomitian yeah okay indomitian that's go. why he never won by kong, kong. but fuck <laughs> kong su would have been a sick nickname did he go number one or number two overall two i mean it, it, it was a difference it, was, it honestly yeah, was the difference Bradford, if he goes by kong su he's number McCoy. one yeah would you rather have mccoy or sue in your careers sue yeah. Sue yeah. has been a monster. Last one here, and then I got to I wonder go. if, do we put him on Bus Watch? We talked about him as a potential Hall of Famer. Whiff Watch. Finally. I've talked about the whiff on this. I think we, we like did it last year. Yeah, yeah. But post year two, after the week 18, Justin Herbert, a whiff on the PFF draft board going back to that 2020 draft where he was the 30th overall player. So still in the first round conversation. Not that big of a whiff, but no, it's a big whiff. How do you avoid this miss again? That's why I think what everyone yeah. wants to know. How do you avoid missing on a Herbert? I mean, I don't know if we're going to see a lot of a Herbert type of players, mm -hmm. but like, how do you how do you avoid missing on Herbert again? Say you were given another chance. I think you really have to focus on what a guy can do and not focus on, so like really be forgiving for negatives or like for like i mean we had who was it bucky brooks on this podcast came on and it's like one of the oldest scouting things he's ever learned when he was first an nfl scout that guy he was like the biggest thing i remember is do not focus do not he says he, his boss would tell him do not tell me what he can't do mm -hmm. tell me what he can do yeah and it's up to us to fix what he can't do yeah. with herbert I mean, you remember talking to Nagy in that process, yeah. Jim Nagy, who had him at the Senior Bowl. Dude talked about him like he was God, and like rightfully so, right? Because this, what Herbert can do is what's showing up in the NFL. And I, and I think I even said in that pre-draft, I was like, it's weird that I'm talking about a guy and having concerns about him when the concerns aren't arm strength or really accuracy related. Like I wasn't particularly concerned about the arm talent. It was a lot of the other things about the quarterback position. And all of a sudden, like year one, year two, 
different offense, more talent around them. They're, those are not concerns anymore. And a lot of it was like, uh, some of it was like personality related. He just made some weird decisions in big games down the stretch. I remember like him down like 20, taking a monster shot, diving for the goal line in a game with like 30 seconds left. He would like slide short of third down or of the line on like third downs. So he would just like make weird decisions back at Oregon. And it's just like, what, what's going on? And like, he even had that like weird QB sneak as a rookie where it's like, sometimes that happened with him, but I think I overvalued that and thought it was going to be more of an issue to where the arm, the athleticism, the mobility was so special. And that's kind of like where I come back to. I want to give the one person comp or like the one, the small sample size, but how I feel about Sam Howell watching his tape. I'm like, it's such a weird offense that just doesn't give him options. Like it, it gives him like one option on a play a lot of times where it's like a lot of times you'll be like, oh, he's one read and then runs. It's like a lot of that's the offense that's yeah, yeah. in. You know, also, I mean, and you that, can't and, understate how bad that supporting cast was this year. Yes, and like no supporting cast, bad offensive line, and he has tools. Like I'm not the concerns with Howell are not arm strength related, and they're not accuracy related. You know, so like that is that's a good starting point when you're talking about a quarterback transitioning to the NFL. Fantastic stuff. What a phenomenal podcast. This episode, this next episode, we are going to take on the mailbag episode. And then starting next week, I asked Mike, bonus mailbags are back. Four episodes a week starts next week. How do you leave a mailbag? Speakpipe.com slash tailgate, leave a voicemail, or leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts with your question in there. Let's Spotify, get these- you'll have to DM us. Yeah, though. Spotify and then DM a screenshot. You're, yeah. right. you're right, you're right. No, you're right. Let's get to these interviews now. Houston cornerback Marcus Jones, and then also the Boston College offensive lineman Zion Johnson. Welcome into Tailgate. I'm here with Houston cornerback Marcus Jones. Marcus, great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. We are excited to have you on, man. You have been a guy that has consistently graded well for PFF, playing at Houston over the past two seasons now, over 85.0 PFF grades. And even at Troy, before you made the transfer, had 75-plus PFF grades in both those years at Troy. Overall, super impressive collegiate career through two programs. But let's start with the recruiting trail. Let's start with the decision to go to Troy. I know you said you're from Alabama. What, what all went into that decision to go to Troy to start off? Uh, originally I was, uh, committed to Purdue first off and then, mm-hmm. um, it was a coach's change. So I ended up, uh, actually, you know, pursuing Troy and everything and also being closer to my family because enterprise is like 30 minutes from Troy. So I wanted to go ahead and go to Troy and, uh, basically let my parents see me perform at, uh, at the collegiate level. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think that has been, you know, obviously you had a really good start to your career and then you ultimately make the decision to transfer to Houston. I guess, walk me through that call as well. Uh, basically, you know, a new coaching change ended up coming in and everything. And uh, the coaches that came in were great coaches and everything. But I just wanted to show that I could play at a higher level. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I ended up going to uh, the American Conference. You know, people call it the Power Six. And, you know, the Sun Belt doesn't really get that much love, you know, as much as the American Conference does. So I just wanted to end up going to a higher level and trying to uh, basically, you know, challenge myself and, you know, see if I can do it at the higher level. And I, I want to go back to high school a little bit. You played uh, defensive back in high school, but you also played basketball as well. What all what all positions did you play throughout high school? And I guess what all sports did you play? Um, I ran track. I played basketball. And I also played football. 
So I basically, in football, I played uh, safety, corner, anywhere, you know, receiver also and everything like that. And then, you know, basketball, I played point guard and shooting guard and then ran track like the 100, 200, and four by one. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, you know, I think track, basketball, obviously that background kind of shows up. You have a lot of versatility in your game. I want to talk also, you know, as much as we want to talk about your coverage ability, it's been where you've like shined the brightest. You're also a, a bit of a return specialist, right? You have been really good as a part returner, really good as a kick returner. Is that something you even did dating back to high school or is that something you kind of picked up uh, in your collegiate career? Uh, I basically did special teams all my life ever since I was like playing peewee football. So in high school, I did as well. And it was just one of those situations to where, you know, my dad always told me that I'm going to be small. So, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, I got to be able to show versatility by playing different positions and also, you know, putting a big mark on special teams. So that's something that I always took, you know, important. What's really impressive, I'm glad you kind of brought up your size, right? I think you're listed on Houston's website, five foot eight, one eighty five. You still, despite that size, right, have been such a dominant, productive outside corner. Whereas oftentimes you see, you know, guys that you are your size more often stick it out in the slot or even play some safety. What have you done, I guess, where does that, you know, because when I talk to guys who maybe don't have the longest arms to play offensive tackle or aren't the biggest to play along the edge or whatever, they talk about you have to pick up your edges elsewhere, right? It's in the film room. It's in the weight room. It's your diet. It's these different things. Where would you say you've made up the most, right? Where would you say you've, been, you know, you accomplished that by making up for your size and now still sticking it out at outside corner? Uh, basically knowing your strengths and your weaknesses, you know, uh, me being a smaller corner, you know, with those big physical receivers, I can't usually put my hands on them as much because if I do, you know, they're going to physically, you know, be able to be, beat my hands down and things of that nature. So just playing to my advantages, which is speed and, you know, not touching them and just, you know, playing the ball whenever it ends up coming my way. Walk me through or talk about your your film preparation process, right? In a, in a given game week, what when you turn on a, you know, a receiver or an opposing offense that you're going to go against, what do you look for from a tells perspective? What what are you, you know, trying to hone in on on film as you head into a game? Uh, most of the time, you know, I start off with uh, who the quarterback usually like to target the most. That's one thing that I always try to see. Uh, quarterback cadences, you know, signals that the quarterback give the receivers for certain routes and everything uh seeing basically how receivers come off the ball for certain routes and you know their demeanors on how they break down and things of that nature yeah i think the that uh has to show up in the film room right it has to you know where with secondary play i always see it kind of like a chess match it's very similar to offensive tackle edge right where you need to really hone in on film, really hone in on tendencies, release packages, these different things. It's so much more than just reacting on the field. So much more preparation goes into it. I also feel, I always ask defensive backs this question, even receivers too, where do you side on the spectrum of, you know, um, talking trash in game? Because it is such a one-on-one -on -one sport, right? You are going against the same guy consistently. And sometimes there is opportunity to play the mental side of this game, right? And see if you can get in his head a little bit talking smack. Do you ever get into that game at all? Do you kind of wait for them to show the lead there what's what's your angle there uh i'm typically one of those people like i play ball unless you know they end up talking trash but i'm not one of those people to where i hate when people talk trash like it brings more of a competitive nature to the game you know what i mean so it's just one of those situations to where you know someone ended up talking trash to me it don't get me out of my game you know if you yeah. want to talk trash then we can definitely do it but that also brings up my uh play as well so
And you also, I want to get into the offseason now. Let's start with the Senior Bowl, right? You're going to have an opportunity to go down to Mobile and compete against some of the best seniors in the country, guys that are going into this draft class. What are your expectations going into there, right? you got some one-on-one opportunities. That's where a lot of defensive backs have success and raise their stock or raise expectations for themselves. How excited are you for that opportunity? And I guess what are your goals or expectations going in? Uh, just basically playing with, you know, and against uh, some of the higher guys, you know, that have been in the Power Five and just showing what I could bring to the table, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, the outside corner or at nickel. So that's the main thing. Have you had a lot of opportunities to watch, like, previous Senior Bowls, right, where you turn it on and you see the practice, like I think NFL Network broadcasted all that stuff, and you see these one-on-one drills? Are you, I guess, are you excited for that portion of practice? What are you most looking forward to? There's the interview process, the media stuff, the one-on-ones, team, the game itself. I guess, is there a certain part of it that you're, like, most looking forward to? Uh, the two most things that I'm important, like, that's important to me is, you know, getting to sit in the film room with NFL coaches. You know, because NFL coaches and college coaches, they have different demeanors on how they usually teach and everything. You know, your expectation of being with the NFL coach is way higher than it is, you know, college. Because most of the time, you know, you're teaching yourself in the NFL, whereas college, you know, coaches are teaching you most of the time. So just that and just, you know, seeing how NFL practices usually are and just competing with, you know, higher level guys. That's the and, main you, thing. and you mentioned this. Do you plan to take reps in the slot and on the outside when you're down there? Oh yeah, wherever they need me. So yeah, awesome. yeah. I think a lot of a lot of players will go down there and play. Sometimes play positions for the first time. I remember Quinn Miners, the Wisconsin Whitewater offensive lineman, didn't play center ever, and then played center for his first time there at the Senior Bowl, and obviously raised his stock significantly. It's kind of a similar situation. Moving beyond the Senior Bowl, obviously, you can have a ton of opportunity to train in this offseason to prepare for pro days, combines, those things. Are you entering that portion of it with a certain weight goal in mind, and also what? What, what drills are you planning to work most, right, in terms of prioritizing moving those up? Uh, Weight-wise, usually it's like 180 to 185. That's the main thing that I'm trying to uh, get into is usually <laughs> that weight. And then um, mainly, like, you know, making sure that my body is good and just making sure that I'm good physically <laughs> and trying to stay on that aspect. And that's basically the main things that I'm focusing on. The the other part of the offseason, right, that sometimes, and it's going to be really hectic. The pre-draft process is crazy. you got the Senior Bowl, Combine, all that stuff, media, the interview process, right? You're going to talk to a lot of coaches, a lot of scouts, a lot of GMs all throughout this process. How excited are you for that? And, and um, you know, how much have you already prepared for that kind of that, like, exhaustive interview process? Yeah, uh, I'm really excited about that because, uh, you know, that's one of the sides to where can – help you get drafted higher or, you know, some people, you know, don't get drafted as high. So also showing the the mindset because, you know, a lot of guys go out there on the field and, you know, play football because football, I mean, when you play it for a long time, that's one of those situations too. But most of the time, you know, it's 70 to 80%, you know, mental than it is physical because everyone Mm -hmm. out there is physically capable of making plays, but also showing the mindset of how smart you are on the field. So that's one thing that I'm trying to definitely show coaches. We can close with this, Marcus. Really appreciate the time. I wanted to get your um, answer on what do you feel is kind of your biggest strength entering this class, right? What do you feel really separates you from the other cornerbacks entering the 2022 draft? Uh, the main thing is I don't really see a lot of uh, slot corners mm-hmm. coming out this draft. Like, you know, that's kind of high. Everyone has pretty much 
big size, you know, six foot and, you know, either six foot 190 or, you know, six foot 200. And also, I mean, I'm playing a lot of positions. So, you know, whether it's offense, defense, you know, whatever they need me, special teams, I'm down to do. And I don't really see a lot of people, you know, playing a whole bunch of different positions like I have this year. So that's the main thing. Yeah, versatility so massive, obviously, in the draft process, right? Having that returnability, having that ability to play in the slide and play on the outside is going to show up big in your draft resume. Marcus, really appreciate the time, and thanks again for joining. No problem. Thank you. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Boston College offensive lineman Zion Johnson. Zion, great to have you on the show. Glad to be here. I want to talk about your Boston College career. I know you're down there in Pensacola training with Exos, and I'm sure you're adding weight, get you know this insane diet. Talk a little bit about this pre-draft process, but honestly, I think one of your more one of the more interesting stories tied to you is that you did not start at Boston College, and you were barely recruited out of high school. You know, you commit to Davidson coming out of high school. I think you went to a high school there in in uh, Maryland, if I'm not mistaken. Talk to me about your high school career and I guess when you committed to Dayton or not Dayton, Davidson. Um, you know, what was that recruiting process like? Were you surprised that you weren't getting run with other FBS programs? I guess uh, walk me through all that. Man, it's a, it's a really long story, but I'll say I was not surprised at all that I didn't have any <laughs> offers from FBS school. So I played golf mainly through high school. Okay. I played golf since seventh grade and all the way up to my senior year when I stopped. Uh, that's about when I joined the football team in the offseason. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't have much experience at all really uh, playing football. I had to really like reinvent my body, get in shape. Because, you know, golf shape's a lot different than football <laughs> shape. So, um, you know, I played right tackle in high school, weighed about 220 pounds. Oh, wow. Uh, the last game of the season, actually, I missed it. I got, like, really sick, and I got even – I lost more weight. I was, like, 210 pounds, which is, like, offensive lineman. That's crazy. <laughs> but um, I was able – I was able to get a uh, – you know, the opportunity to go to Davidson College, mm -hmm. uh, mainly because they're a very, you know, prestigious academic school. And, you know, they thought I had a pretty good GPA and, you know, it was a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, throughout my time there, you know, it wasn't a, you know, football scholarship team. They had the, uh, the academic money they would give to kids based off of, you know, what they did in high school. So, it, it was a lot like the Ivies in that way. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my freshman year, I was I weighed around like 240. Got you know weighed got up a little bit more like 255. Played at that at Davidson. You know, played teams like San Diego, Dayton, uh, Moorhead State. Mm -hmm. You know, great great memories. You know, made lots of good friends there. That I still talk to this day. Uh, you know, my coach there was. Coach Applebaum, who, you know, coached me at Boston College now. And the guy that recruited me there was Coach Phil Troutwine, who's at, at Penn State now. So, um, you know, there were some pretty good coaches there. We ran like a typical pro-style offense. And uh, we didn't really have the, the success, though. We only won three games, didn't win any conference games. It was, it, it was rough. But uh, the next season, we went triple option. Uh, that offseason – Got up to 280 pounds, went from 255 to 280, um, and ran triple option, ran the ball like every play, 
uh, had a whole new staff and, you know, we had some success that year. We had our first winning season in 11 years or something like that, which was, you know, great for us then. But, um, you know, with Coach Troutwine going to uh, Boston College um, and me wanting to go into the portal because I wasn't on scholarship, it was like a match made in heaven, honestly. Wow. They needed offensive linemen, and I needed to, you know, go somewhere where I could be on scholarship. So I was able to go to Boston College that next year. Uh, I had to submit a waiver to get my eligibility, which you know I thought was kind of crazy. That's absurd. I went from not being on scholarship to being on full scholarship. You would think, you know, I'd be able to play immediately, but no. So uh, at that point, I had gotten up to like two ninety at that point. You know, played left guard that year. You know, rotated one year, and kind of hit my stride later on in the season. And um, you know, got to play next to guys like Alec and, and Tyler that year. You know, that line looked a lot similar to the one we had this year. So then, 2020, you know, was a lot different. Um, we had the new staff come in. Coach Halfley, a great coach. Uh, that whole staff's just great people. You know. Now, coach Dazio is a great coach too, but you know it's it's a little different when you have a younger coach, like someone you you can really relate to. Like Coach Halfley has that young vibe; he can really relate to you, and uh, just a great guy overall. But we came in new offense, you know, a lot more pass-heavy offense. I, I moved to left tackle that year, which you know surprised a lot of people. <laughs> surprised surprised me a little bit too, but. Um, we had a, you know, pretty good season that year. We went six and five, which, you know, is pretty typical for BC. But, you know, with our, our first year of having Coach Halfley, it was a good step forward. And, uh, you know, I got, I had the blessing to play next to, you know, Christian Mahogany and Alec and those guys and play with Phil, uh, who's a great quarterback, uh, great leader. And then, you know, this year I had gotten up to, 318 pounds so another huge jump and was able to have a pretty good year at left guard moving back and I think you know something that was just huge for me was being able to play next to Tyler and, and Alec again you know those guys are just awesome and you know, their football knowledge is, is, is insane that is fantastic. I have a ton of follow-up questions off of that, man. You went through a long run there. I want Let's start going back to the golf game. So you're a big golfer from 7th grade to what? Like 11th grade. How good did you get, right? Like when did you when did you like maybe stop pursuing that as maybe something you do after high school? And I guess what first got you into that? Are your parents big golfers? I, I, what 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 all how, how did that happen? How did that start? So my grandmother is a uh she was a principal at a school in Virginia called Ready Academy. It was a school for like uh, elementary school age kids. And when I was young, they used to have camps there and they would have a tennis camp and golf camp and stuff like that. So I went to a golf camp and I kind of got really interested in it. My high school had you know, a golf team that wasn't really competitive when I was early in middle school, but I started in like sixth grade, but it wasn't like a team that would play other schools. It was just like, you know, there was a coach that would help you work on your skills, you know, on your short range, long range game, that sort of stuff. And then by the time I got to seventh grade, we started 
you know, playing other teams. So it became the you know varsity golf team on our, at our school. And that's really how it happened. Uh, honestly, now, you know, I don't play as much. Uh, you know, a lot of it's time reasons. You know, I, I put a lot more effort and time into football. <laughs> but also I think part of me knows that because I don't golf as much as I used to, I'm probably not as good as I used to. And I don't want to <laughs> see myself <laughs> in that light. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, every now and then I go back out on the course and in and play. But uh, you know, back then I was like the, I was the number one guy on my team. So the way in our area how teams <laughs> work is, you know your number on your team was like how good you were. So, you know, there was a number one, number two, number three, number four. And you know, I was the number one on the team. Um, yeah, I was, I was pretty good. Mm -hmm. I think um, we would only play, I think when I was in middle school, we would play nine holes. But as I got into high school, we would play uh, a full 18. And on average, I was like, two over wow that's yeah. insane i'm not a big golfer but i know how difficult it is and i know i've heard other people speak to if you stop playing for a little bit you'll be trash when you get back it's definitely something you gotta kind of yeah. keep going the, the other question i had off of that and then we'll get more into kind of into your boston college career is how did you go about adding all this weight right like that is so much easier said than done going from you know this 220 range that you said you spoke to in high school all the way up to now what 314 315 is what you're saying what has that process been like has it been you know i've talked to guys who had to wake up at 3 a.m and eat meals and go back to sleep and all this crazy shit what 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 has been the process for you and i guess how how easy has it been to maintain this like steady steady weight gain man it's been hard so i <laughs> like as I said, I've been on weight gain my whole career, pretty much. So mm -hmm. early, it, it was easier because when you're 225 and you get to college and you're at a college with a all-you-can-eat dining hall and you have a nutritionist that is laying out what you're supposed to eat and you can just go to town, it's easy to gain a lot of weight. So I, you know, about like getting up to 280 was pretty easy for me. But once I hit 280 and then I kind of got to around 290, I hit a wall where mm -hmm. for like a year and a half, two years, I was stuck at like 295 to 300, that range, and I could not gain any weight. So at that point, really, for me, what I had to do was really focus on the weight room, developing my body, uh, gaining more muscle mass, because you know, people always say muscle is heavier than mm -hmm. fat. So... Uh, that's really been the difference for me. You know, the strength coaches I've had, uh, Coach Matus and, and Coach Scott, have really done a great job of helping me develop my body. And that really helped me, you know, break through that wall. Because, you know, if, if you ever talk to the strength coach at Boston College, Coach Matus, he'll tell you, when he got there, I was stuck at like 300 pounds. I was struggling. Like, after every practice, I'd lose like 10 pounds and have to get back because – which was crazy, but you know now I you know, I've gained about I've gotten up to twenty like three twenty since then, and it's been easy. Uh, a lot of it's you know nutrition, making sure you're eating the right things, uh, making sure you know when to eat. Uh, like sometimes you you know if you're awakening, you might want to eat your your last meal a little later, so that while um, 
while you're sleeping, you have a little bit more to digest, but you digest a lot while you're sleeping. You burn a lot of calories. So our, uh, our nutritionist always also gave us um, casein protein, which is mm -hmm. like a heavy car, really heavy car. So while you're sleeping and you're burning, you're burning all that fuel, it'll burn the casein instead. Oh, wow. Holding on to the weight. So you don't wake up and lose you know, three, four or five pounds in the middle of the night. You wake up you know, about that, which you went to sleep at, which mm -hmm. helped me a lot. Damn. That sounds like a grind, dude. I know that there are some who have to get down weight, right. But I always feel that after all the conversations I've had, it is so much harder to add weight. <laughs> Adding weight can sometimes be so much more difficult than actually trying to oh, cut yeah. and drop weight. Um, let's get into your Boston college career. Maybe start with this relationship you have with Halfley and maybe how much he's helped you in your years there, right? Over 800 or over 700 snaps played in each of the past three seasons at Boston college with your PFF grade, improving really every single year of your career, what has the relationship with Halfley and how much has that played a huge part in how much you've developed with this football team? Uh, it's, it's played a huge role. I mean, um, of course, it all stems from love of the game. I mean, any player will tell you, you're not going to be successful. You're not going to evolve as a player if you don't really love the game and you're not willing to sacrifice things to put in time to, you know, get better as a player. But my relationship with Coach Halfley, Coach Applebaum, has helped me a lot because honestly, coming back another year after the COVID year, um, I put a lot of trust in Coach Applebaum because I knew that with another season, he could help me develop. He could help me fine tune my technique. He could mm -hmm. help me become a better player. And also, I had faith in myself that I was going to be able to, you know, not slack off, that I was going to put in the work as well to do, do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I think that relationship is very important. Because uh, if I if I didn't have faith in my coach to help develop me, things might have gone differently. Mm -hmm. And so now, as you enter, you know, kind of this new this new challenge, right, of going into this pre-draft process. Talk to me about kind of what your goals are. I know you're training down at Exos. What are your goals? And I know it's easy to say, just improve at everything, run the fastest time, jump the highest, but are there any like specific goals that you've highlighted, whether it's in the interview room, the film room, or at even their training at Exos, weight goals, athleticism goals that you're specifically prioritizing as you kind of prepare in this pre-draft process? I mean, in terms of goals, I think, I just have general goals, mm -hmm. um, like what my weight looks like or certain things are fluid. They're going to be fluid as time goes. So, you know, based off of how testing is going, how the times are looking, I might adjust certain things. But in totality, I just want to be the, the leanest, strongest, fastest guy I, I can be in, in my body. And, you know, that that's, that's going to look different for different guys. But yeah. in, in terms of football technique, uh, you know, I'll be working with Josh Sitton, who was a great guard for the for the Packers and for the Bears. And uh, you know, I really just want to pick his brain. You know, with a, having a good, experienced uh, guy that can coach you like that, I want to see what I can learn. What you know, at every position, whether I can learn some things he did at guard, some things he did at center, some things he may have done if he ever played tackle. Because um, mm -hmm. you know, most guys in the league are great multiple, so. You'll know about those other things too, but really just increasing my uh, tools in the toolbox because people don't know a lot of time. Old linemen have, they vary in technique and have, and every old lineman has 
you know, different things that they can do well. Like there, there's different little things you might, you know, turn on some tape on Sunday and you'll see a guy do something and be like, wow, like I didn't, I never really thought about that. Like one thing we talked about in film was like, there's a thing called a, a slingshot technique. Where yeah. like if a guy, you know, on the backside of a wide zone and he kind of like wraps around them and pushes them upfield to save the play. Like those are real savvy things that like a, a vet like Josh Sidney would know, but, you know, also based fundamentals and technique, you know, I, I think he did, you know, help fine tune that for me too. And then from an interview perspective, you know, I just want to be, I want to be able to really explain what my core values are and what makes me the player I am. Cause that's really what an interview is. When I'm talking to somebody in an interview or talking to a team, I want to be able to tell them what makes me me and what do I believe in and why, why would you want me on your team? Yeah. And that, that's really what I'm learning here. Actually. So. That's awesome that you're already working with Josh Sitton. I think that's going to be obviously wildly you know beneficial to you improving your te- technique. I want to turn, go back a little bit to your Boston college days. How much, time did you have to turn on the tape at Boston College when you were looking at opponents, right? And what did you look for when you did watch film with your opponents, right? There obviously is a lot of opportunity to watch NFL guys or even watch tape of yourself to improve technique and kind of mirror some of those things, the things like the slingshot. But turning on the tape for opponents, what were some of the keys or the tells or the tendencies that you'd look for on film? So when I watch opponent D-linemen, I really, I split things up. And my coach would tell you, like, my reports on D-linemen are very in-depth. I like to split up. And I, I fir- at first, I go pass rush because, I mean, as much as we throw the ball, that's very important. So first, I want to look at your, their get-off. I want to see, you know, are they quick off the ball? Do they get vertical now off the ball? Do they like to shimmy off the ball? Are they, do they tempo? Like, what do they do when they get off the ball? Because that, that's important. Second of all, I want to see what type of player there are. If they're, you know, mainly a finesse guy, if they're a, a big power guy, you know, most of the tackles are going to be main like full rush or, or long arm guys. But, you know, you'll be surprised and you'll find a, that there are a lot more defensive tackles now that will attack your hands and, you know, predominantly hand swipe. You know, uh, <laughs> Aaron Donald has really inspired a lot of these guys <laughs> now to, you know, do the jump swipe and the, the jab swim and everything. So, uh, I look for like their main moves, like whether, you know, most of the time, is he going to long arm? Most, most of the time, is he going to uh, chop club? Because guys love doing that now too. Mm-hmm. Uh, like what, basically what are his main pass rush moves? Um, on top of that, like when I was at tackle, I would like to look like at the top of the pocket, is he going to spin back? Or is he just going to, you know, fly by? That, that sort of thing. Uh, is he a hand grabber? Because that, that's very important to know too. Uh, just little things like that. Uh, motor. Motor is also a big thing for, for pass rush, too, because, you know, I'll play one guy, and he'll, he'll go to his go-to, and if it doesn't work, he's going to get his eyes in the backfield and just, you know, kind of mm-hmm. try to contain. Or another guy. Relentless. If, if his first move doesn't work, <laughs> he's got three, four, five more he's going to try before, you know, that play is over. And mm-hmm. you need to know that and know what their secondary moves are, too. Like, if the bull rush doesn't work, are they going to go to a rip? Or are they gonna? Are they a big like full pull guy or like what? What do they like to do? Um, and then I go to each run. Uh, so we're a zone team, so I'll go through each zone. I'll say outside zone. How they play that? Do they like to penetrate? Uh, will they flow with me in, in my wide zone footwork? 
Uh, will they play off the backside half of me and try to make the play from the backside? Will they fight for their gap? You know, that sort of, that sort of thing. Um, uh, tight, like tighter zone plays, whether it's like inside zone or duo or anything like that. I just, I want to see how stout they are. And are they big shock and shed guys? Like if it's a man block, I want to know, is he just going to try to hunker down and I, I can just tee off on him and drive him off the ball? Or is he going to try to extend and shed immediately? Because then I'm going to focus a little bit more on trying to stick on him than trying to really root him out. Um, no. Double teams, you know, how do they play the guards? Because, you know, there's a lot of guys that uh, in double teams, they, they'll play heavy into the guard and or, you know, slide the D tackles that'll go to one knee and then try to arm over into the gap. Or some guys, some guys try to spin double teams or do like uh, other rare stuff like that. But try to see how they play them basically to see, you know, okay, this guy likes to grab me if I'm double teaming. So I need to really... Uh, stab him off when I go to the linebacker so that I don't get grabbed up and linebacker's free, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, there's a few other things, like if we have, like, a counter or a power, like, if if I pull, will they wash? Because a lot of the time, a lot of teams in the ACC, if you pull the guard, you know, the the nose might try to play over the top of the, the center when he sees the guard pull. So we'll we'll look at some things like that. Uh, that that's, that's mostly things there that I would probably look at. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I appreciate you <clears throat> diving in as much detail. We can kind of close out the, with this, Zion. I really appreciate the time. Um, the Senior Bowl, such a huge opportunity for offensive linemen, right? I think we talk about it every year on this podcast. I think everyone talks about these one-on-ones are such a unique opportunity for offensive linemen to go and face against some of the top competition in the NFL, or not the NFL, soon to be in the NFL. And then also even beyond the one-on-ones, you know, look at guys like Quinn Miners of Wisconsin Whitewater who go there and, and, and dominate the team drills, try a new position, look so well in these run blocking drills and stuff like that. I guess, how excited are you for this opportunity and I, I speak to the mindset you're entering Mobile with um, as you prepare for that at the back end of the month here. I'm very excited. It's it's a great opportunity. I mean, that that's really what it is—an opportunity to showcase, you know, who I am as a player, what I can do, and you know, it's really awesome to get to play against some of the guys I may have already played against this year, or may have gotten to watch on tape, you know, through teams I've played and who they've played. But it's really an opportunity to show, you know, that no matter what conference it is, my ability can translate. That's really all it is. It's going to be fantastic to see you down there. I'll be down there. We'll have to catch up uh, when, when we do get down there. But, Zion, I really appreciate the time, and thank you so much for jumping on the show. Thank you. You have a good one. That's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Until next time, thanks again, everybody. Austin Gale, Mike Renner. I say everybody like there's a freaking audience. (laughs) Thanks again, everybody. We're going to be back here on Saturday Night Live. Austin Gale, Mike Renner on Tailgate.